Okay, good evening everybody. Welcome back to Exploring Lord of the Rings uh, with the Tolkien Professor. Good to see you guys back here tonight. As you can see, I am not in my normal location here this evening. So uh, I'm in a sort of a hotel room, uh, kind of an apartment room. Uh, I'm in like, this is my, my home away from home down in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I have come uh, almost every year for the last five years. Uh, for uh, a really fun faculty development summer institute uh, run by my friends down here at Johnson C. Smith University. So uh, uh, really great to be back down here again. Um, I am, uh, I know I, <laughs> Marianne says, ah, you're in the dungeon. I know it kind of sounds like a dungeon uh, and I know, and uh, uh, the, the, the back wall could use a little decoration. Uh, and I can see on the, on the on the on the Twitter feed, you can just barely see the bed behind me. In the on the on the Twitch feed, you can see nothing but completely blank wall. I know, but uh, anyway, so yeah, it's a little bit different. Lighting is kind of poor. I don't have a single lamp here either. Uh, but you know, we are doing fine. We are we are. Um, uh, uh, we're here and we're ready for class and we're going to have a good, despite differences in lighting, acoustics and background, nevertheless, we're going to persevere. Uh, and, uh, lots of thanks to, uh, lots of thanks to, to Matt for, um, uh, helping me get a second monitor and some good Wi-Fi. So, uh, we're able to do class here tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, Boomful, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a reason I don't use directly overhead light uh, at home. I know I'm going to like hurt people with like the reflection of the light off my pate. You know, it's really kind of uh, uh, irresponsible there. So, you know, uh, sorry about that. We'll do what we can. Um, but um Anyway, yeah, Stephanie, it has been intensely hot, at least to this New Englander uh, down here. Very noticeable, the, uh, uh, the, the, the weather difference down here. As soon as I stepped off the plane, I was like, whoa. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so we're on Arkenstone this week, uh, and I'm looking forward at the end of class doing our field trip. We're going to get back to Angmar tonight uh, and explore some of the... Uh, the more advanced parts of Angmar that we haven't seen yet, um, but uh, but anyway, tonight we're we are returning to Bree. Uh, um, before we go, though, um, I, I had a, a a really good question from Fourth Dauntless, which I wanted to share with you, um, and that is about the Morgul blades. <clears throat> okay, so he says during class on Tuesday, I was struck by the description of the Morgul blade carried by the Nazgul in Crick Hollow. A drawn blade gleamed as if a chill light had been unsheathed. The blade carried by the Witch King on Weathertop is described thus. Both the knife and the hand that held it glowed with a pale light. Both of these descriptions emphasize in different ways the wrongness of these weapons. One is called chill, the other pale. Both of these carry quite negative connotations in Tolkien. However, the thing that surprised me upon reflection is the unexpected similarities to the blades of Gondolin carried by Gandalf and Frodo. If I had if I had to describe a chill light, I'd say it was something like pale bluish white, typical of a damp morning just before sunrise. This sounds an awful lot like an elvish blade. In the chamber of Mazarbul, we get the following description: Glamdring shone with a pale light, and sting glinted at its edges. At the bridge of Khazad-dûm, Glamdring gleamed cold and white. So here's my question. 
Is it possible that Sauron somehow recovered and uh, recovered and corrupted the craft of the Noldor at the height of their power? If so, does that tell us anything about the blades of Gondolin? Do they somehow inflict creeping wounds upon goblins whom they bite, leading to the fear attributed to the goblins in The Hobbit? Uh, great questions. Um, those, uh, uh, first of all, Fourth Dawn was really great work uh, looking at the, uh, looking way ahead, you know, Chamber of Mazarbal. That's like, you know, next year sometime. So good work on that. Uh, ranging so far afield to find those quotations. But no, it's, that's it, great. You're right. Uh, there is a clear similarity, I think. Um, between the uh, uh, between the the description of Glamdring and the description of uh, uh, you know well it's, it's sting to a lesser extent but still the description of Glamdring and the, the description of the Morgul blade is that's very similar um, so uh, so what do we do with this uh, is sort of the question there do I think that that similarity is you know coincidental no i don't think that similarity is coincidental at all um so then what uh you know what do we make of that I, you know i'm not sure how much kind of narrative we can read into it um you know for thoughtless you were suggesting that maybe you know sauron took the craft of the noldor and corrupted it uh, i think that's possible i think it's possible that he imitated it i think it's also possible that it's just kind of the way this sort of thing works, right? You know, when you have, uh, uh, you know, a weapon which has been imbued with power, um, that, that this is just kind of how that manifests itself. You know, that the power is different, um, I think is pretty, I mean, is, is clear based on how they act, right? Um, the way that uh, the, let's see, the other thing that I would kind of bring in here. Um, Fourth Dawn was, I'm trying to remember the exact wording here, uh, but going back to the Battle of Five Armies, um, not with the description of, um, of Sting uh, in, in The Hobbit, but rather of the description of the anger of the elves. <clears throat> when the elves attack the goblins, we're told that they're, they're, they, they, they hate them with a cold anger. Um, and they're the sort of the, the cold flame of their anger burning against them. It just it makes me think of that uh, description that he uh, that he uses of the swords themselves, right? Uh, in other words, I think that the uh, the sense there, especially thinking of Glamdring uh, 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 gleaming cold and white. Um, it's, of course, gleaming coldly in contrast uh, to the fire of the Balrog, of course. Um, but at the same time, it, that again, the fact that Tolkien described the anger uh, and hatred of the elves towards the goblins in The Hobbit uh, in kind of similar language uh, makes me think those two things are sort of meant to be associated, or rather that Tolkien, uh, you know, is... is thinking of them in the same terms like the, the these two times that he's that he's thinking of them uh in other words remember what goadriel says about the elvish cloaks right uh you know we put the thought of all that we do you know of all that we love into all that we make um so you know their love of the you know the 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 trees and the grass and and everything around is in the cloaks and that's why the elvish cloaks kind of blend into them because in some sense the like spirit of the you know uh natural surroundings is in the cloak and so the cloak uh you know sort of reflects that 
And it seems fairly clear that the cold hatred of the orcs, uh, of the elves of Gondolin, is, you know, uh, is what they filled their swords with. So when they made those swords, those, you know, they put their hatred of the of the orcs into the swords, right? In a very similar way to the process that Galadriel seems to use to describe uh, how those cloaks were made. Um, so that's why I think that the, you know, the kind of connecting those dots is why I think that uh, to, to, for me, that description of the anger of the, the elves is, is really relevant. Because again, I think that the similarity there is... Uh, uh, is no coincidence. Therefore, um, what does this then tell us about the Morgul blades? Is this, you know, could it be that these are actually elvish blades that have been corrupted? Is this like an elvish technique that he has used? Is this just kind of the other side of the same thing? Has Sauron used his own, um, you know, his own hatred, his own, uh, you know, desire to corrupt uh, and uh, twist and enslave uh, into this blade that he has made, um, you know, and so thus, in a sense, kind of, you know, used the same technique uh, as the uh, as the the Noldor did, um, you know. So um, anyway, you know, I, so I'm, you know, we, we we don't we don't really know. We're not told anything about this. So you know, any kind of answer uh, a fourth honest to your questions are ultimately you know speculative, but. Um, but it seems to me that, you know, the connection between those things is a real connection. I think that, you know, what you're pointing out is is really good. Exactly how the mechanism works, right? Is it just imitation? Is it, you know, sort of parallel mechanisms? Um, I doubt that it's actually corrupted artifacts. That is, I doubt that the Morgul blades were originally Elvish blades, which have been then, like, repurposed and twisted. Um, that I... I uh, I, I rather doubt. Um, but uh, let's see. I see. Uh, okay. Um, okay, right. So you have counterexamples of other blades imbued with power. Um, both the Barrow Blades and Andural glow with a more reddish hue. Well, first of all, um, I would actually, the Barrow Blade, uh, more than any of them, uh, certainly seems to me like a really good example of exactly the same principle that I was just describing, right? Um, in what sense are the Barrow Blades magic weapons, right? Again, as is so often the case, if you're thinking about something in Tolkien and you're thinking of it in terms of, you know, in terms that are like uh, uh, role-playing game terms, you know, um, then you're probably uh, thinking about it wrong. Tolkien rarely seems to think in the kind of uh, in the kind of ways that uh, that kind of games have traditionally, um, you know, kind of quantified these things, right? So the idea of like this is a magic sword. It's a plus one sword. It gives you an advantage to hit, and it does more damage, right? Maybe it does, you know, like like in Lotro, you know, it has an advantage, a, a damage advantage against certain. Uh, you know, uh, classes of character. There certainly are, um, you know, lower roots to many of those things that, uh, the, uh, you know, like if you've got a, a, a Beleriandic weapon, then it does more damage against spiders, right? There, there's, there, there's a reference in the book, right, which, uh, which reinforces that, you know, like on which that, that association is based. Um, but, but still, it's not, uh, 
that's not exact. That's not how these things work uh, in Tolkien itself, right? Um, he, uh, yeah, as Mike says, he approaches this like an English professor, not like an engineer. Essentially, yeah, um, he's not thinking about it in those kind of quantified terms. Uh, notice, there's no hint that the swords that they get from the barrel are magic swords. I mean, what reason do we have to think that they're magical? Um, until we're told that bit at the end about the the when Mary's sword burns all up, right? And how specifically hateful uh, and, uh, uh, you know, particularly painful uh, the blow from that particular sword would have been to the Witch King, given who made it and why, right? In other words... It was the the hatred of Angmar, right, and the desire to resist Angmar and its sorcerer king that that sword was made with, right. So the you know the the thought of the smith goes into uh, that which was made, and so that blade is is more bitter to the to not just ringwraiths in general, but to him in particular, the witch king himself, right. Um, so uh, you know it's. Uh, that that principle seems to me to hold even for things like the Barrow Blade. Now, Enduro, uh, you know, Narsil as was uh, a little bit more, um, um, a little bit more uncertain. Yet Tony Mead says exactly they are imbued with the will of their makers. That's the general trend that we see. Um, of course, you see this uh, very much. Uh, you guys were talking about uh, Anglachel as well, Turin's sword in the Silmarillion, and that of course is exactly. Um, is exactly what uh, uh, Melian says when she's looking at the sword. She says, um, you know, uh, this is, uh, uh, she's she's dubious of it, right? Because the will of the smith is in it and his will, Aeol, the dark elf. It was sketchy, right? So, um, yeah, anyhow, um <laughs> Criticism. This is why I'm always like, don't trust it when a sword can talk in D and D. Exactly. Yeah, talking swords. Uh, because the only association we have with that is Turin's sword, right? It's uh, it, it, you know, yeah, it's sort of questionable. Though interestingly, I kind of think, I don't know. I don't want to say Anglaco gets a bad rap, but it, it, I mean, when it talks, like it's actually. I kind of respect it anyway, you know. I, I can respect the point of view of Anglaghel that it gives at the end. Um, but uh, anyway, anyway. Um, so uh, what was I just talking about? Okay, so swords. So I think, you know, this, if we look at, you know, what makes these swords magical weapons uh, in, in, you know, in the sense in which we can even use that phrase... Uh, the answer seems to be that will of the smith, right? The will of the smith uh, is in them. They are imbued with the will of, uh, with a, a portion anyway, of the will of the person who made them. Uh, and that seems to be the case in almost all of them that we have. So I think in a sense, therefore, then fourth thought was coming back to your question, that general process would seem to be primarily what Glamdring and the Morgul Blade have in common, right? Now, the will that made them is different, uh, so the effect of the blades is different, right? Um, I don't think, uh, in response to one of your questions, do the, you know, does this, does 
This connection suggests that Glamdring and Sting inflict creeping wounds upon the goblins. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, because again, the will of the smith who made them, the, the will of the Gondolindrum, who forged Sting and, uh, uh, and, and Glamdring, was not like that, right? Um, the, this sort of creeping insidious poison which is designed to dominate the well i mean ultimately it's designed to dominate the will of frodo right it, it, this is like the uh it, this is i mean what it's like a dagger of wraithification right uh so you stab the dude with it and the the will of the maker uh which is oriented towards enslaving the spirit uh, uh you know of sort of folks in general, right? That's the power of this, that, you know, that this Morgul blade was imbued with, as we will see when it stabs Frodo. So, um, uh, anyway, so that's, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, except, there you go, DMs. The Dagger of Wraithification. <clears throat> New special uh, uh, legendary magic item for you, no problem. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, so that's, that's the story. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, so again, you know, so much of this we don't know. And, and so many of these questions are totally impossible to answer, right? Because, uh, uh, because Tolkien just didn't think in this way. So he's not, he doesn't answer these questions ever, right? Because he's, uh, it's just not ultimately uh, how he's thinking about it. But nevertheless, I do think that the connection here is very real. The parallels between the two of them are are uh, are very clear uh, and do sort of point to an important overall trend, even if we don't fully understand it and can't fully quantify exactly how it functions. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Okay, Blue Wizard, quick follow-up question. Uh, um, is it fair to say that the blades that Tom cleansed by laying them out in the sun were not inherently evil but temporarily corrupted? Yeah. Um, though, yes. Okay. By sunning this stuff, he was uh, breaking the power of... It's not that the treasure was evil. It's that the power of the wraith was bound to the treasure by exposing it to the sunlight uh he is kind of setting the treasure free in a sense uh and he's leaving it free to all finders so that it would be scattered and if the if the horde uh is uh scattered and taken away uh then the wraith won't come back right won't be able to come back um so i don't think that um it's not clear, for instance, that that tr that there was a curse laid upon that treasure, other than the fact that that treasure was like would have served had Tom Bombadil done nothing, had he just like frightened off the white and uh, and pulled the hobbits out and left. I, my understanding is that uh, Tom is implying that another wraith, perhaps the same wraith, could have returned, or at least another wraith could have come. Uh, and set up shop right in that barrow uh, so by doing this he is breaking the power over the barrow and cleansing the barrow but the treasure itself again i don't think there's anything wrong with it uh that needed uh cleansing um yeah you know uh, uh brandon is asking if uh, if a thing can actually be evil at all um no not exactly but 
it can be cursed. Um, it is clear that curses work and a curse can be laid uh, upon stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, Tony, exactly. If, if an evil will has been imbued into an item, then it's kind of evil, right? The ring is evil in that way. Um, uh, and Anglachel is <clears throat> at least sketchy uh, for that reason. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, honestly, this kind of comes back to debates I see about the, uh, uh, the debates I see about the Silmarils, right? Um, you know, whether or not the Silmarils caused all of this mischief, right? And I always think the Silmarils kind of get a bad rap. I mean, they're, they're, yes, like lots of, uh, lots of bad stuff happens, uh, because of desire of them, but I don't think that that makes the Silmarils, Silmarils evil or cursed. Um, they're not. Uh, uh, they're not like uh, they. They are. They're beautiful. They are the most beautiful and desirable things in the world. And as a consequence, uh, lots of fallen people do lots of bad stuff in order to try to get them. But that doesn't mean it's their fault. Um, anyway. Um, okay. So let's keep going. Back to chapter 11. 11, of course, not 12. Chapter 11. Okay, so we've just had uh, the the ring race have just been chased out of Buckland, right? Um, and notice what happens right away. In the early night, Frodo woke from deep sleep, suddenly, as if some sound or presence had disturbed him. He saw that Strider was sitting alert in his chair. His eyes gleamed in the light of the fire, which had been tended, and was burning brightly, but he made no sign or movement. Frodo soon went to sleep again, but his dreams were again troubled with the noise of wind and of galloping hooves. The wind seemed to be curling round the house and shaking it, and far off he heard a horn blowing wildly. He opened his eyes, and he heard a cock crowing lustily in the inn-yard. Strider had drawn the curtains and pushed back the shutters with a clang, the first gray light of day was in the room, and a cold air was coming through the open window. Okay. Um, so we get two awakenings of Frodo, right? Um, he is disturbed. He wakes up suddenly as if disturbed by some sound or presence, right? Now, it seems to me most likely that that time when he wakes uh, in the early night is when the room is broken into, right? Does he actually hear anything? Does, does, you know, does something wake him up? That seems possible to me. Um, and he sees Strider sitting there awake, right? Strider sort of keeps vigil, stands guard or sits guard, right? All night long. Um, his eyes gleaming in the light of the fire, but he makes no sign or movement. Uh, his plan is just, he's going to stay there because they're safe there as long as they stay, stay inside, uh, inside in the happy place next to the fire. Fire is burning brightly, right? He's not trying to ambush anybody, and he certainly doesn't want it to be dark. Uh, so he's uh, uh, he's sitting there with a blazing fire. Uh, the house, the fire will uh, protect you know, the the Nazgul. Very unlikely to try to break in, uh, and uh, he himself. And the locked door between the two of them are going to keep any uh, keep Bill Fernie or any other thugs out of the room, right? Uh, this seems to be Strider's plan, and Frodo seems to trust that, right? Um, 
Frodo rolls over and goes back to sleep when he sees Strider standing guard. Um, now, then he dreams again. He His dreams are again troubled with the noise of wind and galloping hooves, just like they were in the house of Tom Bombadil, right? So this is a, this is a recollection. Um, this is a recollection of his, uh, uh, of his dreams, right? Uh, of, of, of his earlier dreams. Uh, and you'll remember that in that earlier dream, it, we were, um, uh, uh, excellent. Back we are. Frodo's dream. He can't be hearing the horns, right? The horns are like more than 30 miles away. Um, he's not actually hearing the horns. He's having a dream, right? He has to be having a dream. I think that his hearing the horn in his dream uh, is, this is a current events dream. But I don't think that it's, um, uh, I don't think that it's necessarily a, uh, um, well, it seems like a combination of several things, right? There are three elements. One is the galloping hooves. The second is the noise of wind, and the th you know, which uh, is, seems to be curling around the house and shaking the house. Um, and the third is the hearing of the horn afar off. Um, yeah. Huh. Sorry. Still not working? Man. I am sorry about that. Um, this, uh, leads me to want to make a quick change here. Let me just do a very quick thing and okay. Sorry, what I'm doing is recording my screen because normally I rely on Twitch <clears throat> uh, for the video. So if Twitch is messing up, the video will be messed up. Okay, we'll see what we can do. Okay, now, as I say, three elements of his dream, right? Um, somebody look back and check. When he had his dream in the house of Tom Bombadil of the Galloping Hooves, uh, was there a big emphasis on the wind there? Was the wind associated also with the, the galloping of hooves with the arrival? Was it just the galloping, galloping? Um, somebody check and see if there was wind involved uh, in that first dream as well. Um, so we've got these three elements. It's an interestingly, uh, there's not much description in this dream. Like it's nothing like as detailed, for instance, as either uh, the dreams that are described in the house of Tom Bombadil or the dream that's described in the house of Crick Hollow, the one with the tower uh, by the sea. Uh, so Kyle, yes, the wind was associated with the galloping of hooves. Okay, okay. Well then, the the one el so then we start then with the two elements repeated, the noise of the wind, 
Okay, very good. Thank you. Fourth Thomas has the quote. Then there was a noise like a strong wind blowing, and, it, and uh, in it was born the sound of hooves galloping. Great. Okay. Uh, so we have the wind and the galloping of hooves. Um, and uh, uh, Irenda says, Gandalf rides to Crick Hollow before heading to Bree. Could Frodo be having another dream of Gandalf? Uh, yeah, I think he might. Um, but see, the interesting thing to me is where the wind goes. Because he had the he had the dream in the house of Tom Bombadil of the wind and the galloping hooves, right? Now he's having the dream of uh, uh, the wind and the galloping hooves, but then there's more with the wind, right? The wind seemed to be curling round the house and shaking it, so he feels like the prancing pony where he is sleeping is being surrounded and shaken by the wind. Now that. What do we do with that? Um, is that some kind of insight that um, some kind of insight that Frodo is having? Uh, um, yeah. See, Mike says, "Where is Gandalf this second? Still making his way." North. Yeah, he's not yet arrived. We know he's not arrived at Crick Hollow yet. He's going to go straight to the Shire, obviously, uh, to check and see if Frodo is there. Uh, and we know, obviously, he arrives at Crick Hollow, at least now. He didn't in the earlier drafts, but now he arrives at Crick Hollow after Fatty Bulger has left. Um, enough to think when he goes to the house at Crick Hollow and, and finds the, the cloak slashed and everything, he's going uh, to think that they're gone. But remember, he is almost there. Right, um, he is going to get to the to Crick Hollow like tomorrow. Because remember, he's going to pass them and get to Weathertop before they do. Um, so yes, he comes to Crick Hollow and finds it in an uproar. I think that means, if I remember correctly, and somebody check uh, somebody check Appendix B, uh, look it up in the Tale of Years and see. Because uh, I think Gandalf arrives at Crick Hollow is there, um, and I think it's like. This morning, right? It's this same day that they're leaving Bree, I think, um, that he arrives in Crick Hollow, finding it in an uproar from the previous night uh, when they blew the horns. Um, uh, and uh, Amethorn, this is, uh, uh, yes. So speedily he bore me that I reached the Shire when Frodo was on the Barrow Downs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he hasn't gotten to, uh, to he arrives in Crick Hollow. Uh, so he gets to, like, in the Shire region, right, by that point, um, but then doesn't arrive in Bree until after they've left. And then doesn't he also say that I, I, I arrived in Bree and found you, but lately gone? And I think but lately means, like, by a few hours. Um, it's going to be later on in this day that Gandalf shows up at Bree, which means it's going to be this morning uh, that he uh, that he arrived in Crick Hollow, which means uh, he's... So he might be galloping, galloping, but if he's galloping, he's definitely galloping, but he's galloping across the Shire at this point. Um, and JJ, I'm pretty... No, he goes to Hobbiton first because he has words with Gaffer Gamgee, remember. Um, so, um, uh, so yes, Brandon, it's true that if they, didn't, if they hadn't left with Aragorn, they'd have met Gandalf. Or had they been delayed a little bit more, right? Had they not only stayed for a late breakfast, but, uh, but uh, paused for lunch... Uh, then yeah, they would have uh, they would have met um, uh, they would have met Gandalf. Oh, see, excellent. John has uh, uh, given us the whole passage here. Let me see. Uh, 
um, right, so we went to Hobbiton, right? Then I rode on in fear and I came to Buckland and found it in uproar, as busy as a hive of ants. I came to the house of Crick Hollow, which was broken open and empty. And then Annie found the cloak uh, and he didn't stay to get news, right? And then you went on towards Bree, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay, good. I was pretty sure that I had the chronology correct, but it's uh, it's always good to check. So, okay, yes. So Gandalf is just arriving. So, Mike, to your question, where is Gandalf this minute? Um, stuck, probably, right? Uh, riding on the, uh, he will have, be, he will, he'll be taking the road, right, from Hobbiton uh, to Buckland. He'll be arriving at Crick Hollow this morning. So, you know, he's probably, um, uh, uh, galloping past the golden perch right about the time uh, that Frodo wakes up here uh, uh, with this. So, anyhow, um, that's uh, uh, that's that's uh, that that appears to be uh, what's happening here. So, coming back to the wind, then, if I still think that the galloping galloping that frodo uh is 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 hearing in his first dream the wind and the galloping is a gandalf thing right that he's hearing uh gandalf and that the wind indicates gandalf's approach if we think that that's still true here and that the wind and the galloping is still gandalf then the strength of the wind right the wind curling around and shaking the house could indicate, you know, could be a sort of a sign uh, or a, a sort of abstract representation um, of Gandalf's very near presence, right? Uh, I mean, he's very close at this point. He's a matter of a few dozens of miles away at this point. Um, he will get there later on that day. Uh, and, uh, and it's true, although they don't know it, if they just stayed in Bree, he would have caught up with them on this same day, uh, or at least that evening. Um, so, but I don't know. I mean, at the same time, Frodo's fearful interpretation of his dream, right? That he associated the hoofs, uh, you know, the, the galloping hoofs with, uh, um, with the, um, the riders, right? With the, the black riders. Um, I, you know, I, I, I said at the time I thought that was a misunderstanding. If it's still a misunderstanding, it's now an even more understandable misunderstanding, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, see, oh, well, Brandon, hang on a second. So Brandon is saying that in The Return of the Shadow, uh, the hooves in Frodo's dreams were the ring wraiths. Yeah, yeah, no, they were explicitly the ring wraiths in the early drafts in The Return of the Shadow. Absolutely, absolutely. Um but that was before several of the changes. Uh, in fact, if I'm remembering correctly, in one of the drafts, the ring raids literally came to the house of Tom Bombadil and were riding around, and there were actually hoof prints uh, in the in the sod the next morning. Um, so yeah, no, it was definitely the it was definitely the Black Riders uh, in the early drafts. But I don't think I think that the I think that the galloping is getting repurposed uh, as he is revised as Tolkien so often does, right? Um, you know, Tolkien or uh, Frodo has a dream of galloping. So what does Tolkien do? Well, he keeps the dream of galloping, right? He's going to carry on galloping uh, 
across the the that you know but Tolkien is going to is going to change it and make the galloping mean something else that is classic Tolkien revision approach right there um yeah, it's funny. JJ says, uh, based on our history of Middle Earth classes, the fact that it was the Black Riders in the early drafts is almost a guarantee that it's not the, the Black Riders later on. Uh, yeah, the more word for word it is, the more certain we could be that it means something different later on. Yeah, it's kind of not quite as extreme as that, but yeah, that's definitely uh, that's definitely a trend. Um, so. In any case, one way or another, I mean, I, so I would say that this dream is, is, is ambiguous in the sense that it could be interpreted in a positive or negative sense, but I'm not sure that that quite captures it. It doesn't feel ambiguous. This sounds ominous, right? This sounds dangerous. Um, uh, his dreams are troubled with the noise of the wind uh, and the shaking of the house would seem to be, I mean, it's, it's hard not to connect that with at least that sense of, of, of fear that Frodo has um, of, um, you know, of, of being surrounded by enemies, right? And uh, being almost literally, you know, under siege there in the inn that night. Um, so, uh, so there's, I mean, there's no question that it's, it doesn't sound ambiguous at all. It sounds just bad, right? But Mike, I come back to the answer to your question. Where is Gandalf at this moment, right? The fact is, yeah, things look really bad. Yes, they have lots of reasons to fear. But the truth is, Gandalf is coming, right? Gandalf is, 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 on the, Gandalf is almost there. If they just waited a few hours, Gandalf would have caught up with them there. Now, they don't know, right? Uh, now, Tony asks, is this the same sort of unease that made Fatty run for it? No. Fatty has a clear perception that something is amiss, right? He he is feeling the sort of oppression of the evil of the Nazgul presence. Uh, Frodo was just being troubled, just like when he wakes up in fear after the first dream of the wind and galloping hooves, right? Um, Matt says there's an association between the house being shaken uh, and a horn uh, being winded. Yeah, those two things come right on top of each other, right? And again, I would argue that that seems to open up a certain amount of ambiguity there, right? On the one hand, of course, the horns are blowing in response to the Nazgul, right? So, uh, you know, we could see, I mean, obviously there's a current elements event, a current events element to that, Right. Um, that he's hearing about, you know, while the horns in Buckland are, are blowing, he's dreaming about the horns blowing. Um, but at the same time, it, uh, you know, it's they're blowing because the Nazgul have invaded. So is this a dream that like suggests that the Nazgul are invading? But see, again, um, I. Somebody and I, I, I. I I forgot who it was, or I missed it at the time. Somebody was um, uh, pointing out about how Frodo doesn't make any comment about the uh, the horns, right? Like he doesn't recognize the horn call of Buckland uh, in his dream specifically, um, and. Uh, and I wonder about that. 
I wonder about that because imagine you put yourself in Frodo's position, right? You don't know what we know uh, is ha- you know he doesn't know what happened in Buckland at the same time, right? Um, he didn't get the meanwhile in Buckland portion, um, and uh, so the wind coming and shaking the house and hearing a horn blowing off in the distance that kind of sounds more scary horns blown in the distance are kind of scary right if you hear a horn blown in the distance what is it what should you be thinking of what does it make you think of what's the number one association with hearing a horn blown off in the distance Yes, John uh, John Castles, I, that's exactly what I would think. Probably, it's going to make you think of hunting. Hunting is the like primary use of horns and horn calls, right? So um, it's going to sound like a distant hunt. And if you are someone who is being hunted, that's going to be a really scary sound, right? A sound off in the distance. Now, it's true that it can be associated with war, but that's not the primary association, certainly not to a hobbit, right? Um, there are no hobbits who have ever heard the horns of war sounding, um, but hobbits will have heard horn hunting horns uh, before. Um, so, uh, so although yes, war, uh, you know there are war horns, of course, but there aren't in the Shire. Right in the Shire, there are hunting horns, not in Frodo's experience. Um, so when he hears a horn blowing wildly far off, it's not just blowing; it's blowing wildly. Right? Um, it would be very natural, I think, for Frodo to hear that and draw the conclusion: the hunters have found me. Right? The bo- remember, you know, I talked last time. We we're talking about horn calls, like there are particular horn calls that you use. Right? Um, the wild blowing of the horns probably means they've caught my scent, right? The hounds have found the scent and they're on the trail and they're blowing the horns to indicate to the other hunters, we have found the trail and we're pursuing it, right? That's that's a thing that would happen, right? That's a thing that would be within his experience and would certainly, in his current emotional and psychological state, right, Um being a hunted creature himself, horns blowing wildly in the distance, that can't be good, right? Except it is good. We know that it is good. Or at least um, we... Uh, so, again, it's it's associated with the invasion of the Nazgul, but the blowing of the horns is is in fact what that what what he's getting in his dream. Obviously, there is a current events element of this, right? The horn blowing in his dream is an echo of the horns of Buckland. The horns, remember those horns of like, uh, you know, happy unified community which are driving away the the Nazgul, as we discussed last week. Those are the horns that he's hearing, not the horns of the hunters on his trail, the horns that have driven away the hunters, right? And so I find myself coming back around to the same kind of conclusion. That is, uh, the um, the dream is an ambiguous dream, I would say, but it's not ambiguous in appearance. It seems to be clear, right? It seems to be obvious um, and obviously bad, 
right? We've got the wind in the galloping hooves, which is you know, the speed of the hunters heading towards me, right? And now they're blowing horns wildly off in the distance. They've caught my scent and they're, 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 they're coming pounding down my trail. Uh, and they're sweeping around me like a, uh, like a, you know, the, uh, the wind of, you know, of their approach is now shaking the house where I am and I hear the horn. That's really bad, right? That's real. That's gotta be bad. Except it's not, right? Except it's not. We know a couple things, right? One, we know that the horns are good, not bad, right? Um, and we don't yet know that Gandalf is as close as he is. We won't learn that for a little while. We're cheating in going back and looking in the appendices, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, looking at, at, at Gandalf's account uh, to the Council of Elrond. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Lincoln, very good drawing our attention to uh, Tarloniel's excellent comment uh, in the Twitch chat. Uh, Tarloniel says, it's the good guys blowing the horns. It's the good guys sailing the ships. Yes, that's a wonderful parallel, Tarlonio, and that's exactly what I'm kind of getting at here, right? It was natural, sensible, logical, totally understandable for the people of Gondor to respond in despair when they see the ships with black sails coming up to the Harland, right? Um, there was all kinds of every good reason to think that that was the final disaster coming upon them. Frodo is in the same sort of situation. There's every reason for him to have this dream and wake up and think like, oh, that was a bad sign, right? Uh, things are already really bad and they're about to get worse, but they're not, right? The ships with black sails are in fact stuffed not only with their allies from the south, but with the long lost heir of the kingship, right? So too, this dream, uh, we... Uh, though we don't know it even, nobody knows this, right? Heck, even Tolkien didn't know it at the time. But, uh, but, uh, uh, but unknown to everybody, <clears throat> really, I think this we can still uh, uh, see this is still a dream about G Gandalf is almost there, right? Uh, the wind is actually bringing not just enemies, but help, but rescue. And the horns are the one thing, the one kind of key the one kind of clue right um that the one thing that he um uh sort of seems to be understandably sensibly logically interpreting as a really bad thing but which we know to be a good thing and i think if we kind of hold on to that um we can see now tony that's a really interesting point this is one of the rare times when we know more than the point of view character. That's, uh, it is true that we, the readers, are usually at least as ignorant um, as, the, uh, uh, as the, 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 the point of view character of a particular passage. Um, but of course, it's one of the consequences of the cutaway scene that he's just given us in Buckland, right? We now know this. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but... Um, yeah. Anyway, um, and then he wakes up, and there's a cock crowing lustily in the inn yard, right, saying that day has come. Um, and uh, of course, you remember the rooster. There's a rooster in Buckland, just as there's a rooster in Minas Tirith, right? And there's a rooster in Bree here as well. Um, exactly. Day has come again, Lincoln. That's what roosters always say, 
right? That's the, that's one of the cool things about roosters is you can always count on them to be saying that day has come again, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Um, how interesting, Scooter. And by the way, Scooter, welcome. I saw that you said this is your, you've uh, uh, ripped through uh, the series and have caught up with us and it's your first live uh, night. Thanks, glad you could join us. Um, but uh, this is the sixth Frodo waking up in the morning scene. Hmm. I hadn't been counting, but... Uh, I can believe that. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so let's see. Okay. Um, the first gray light of day was in the room and a cold air was coming in through the open window. Um, I have an idea. Let's move on to the next passage. Let's be bold and daring. Okay. As soon as Strider had roused them all, he led the way to their bedrooms. When they saw them, they were glad that they had taken his advice. The windows had been forced open and were swinging, and the curtains were flapping. The beds were tossed about, and the bolsters slashed and flung upon the floor. The brown mat was torn to pieces. Strider immediately went to fetch the landlord. Poor Mr. Butterbur looked sleepy and frightened. He had hardly closed his eyes all night, so he said, but he had never heard a sound. "'Never has such a thing happened in my time!' he cried, raising his hands in horror. I love... <laughs> "'Guests unable to sleep in their beds, and good bolsters ruined and all? "'What are we coming to?' "'Dark times,' said Strider. "'But for the present you may be left in peace when you have got rid of us. "'We will leave at once. Never mind about breakfast. "'A drink and a bite standing will have to do. "'We shall be packed in a few minutes.'" Okay, um, so, a couple things here. Yes, Brandon, they did come in through the window, not sneaking through the inn, which is, which is uh, uh, what Aragorn clearly expected, right? Um, and Kyle, yeah, so Butterbur never heard a sound, right? So, first of all, he, remember, you know, the last they saw of Butterbur the night before, he's like, you know, spooks or no spooks, they won't get in the pony so easy, right? And so he's, he and his people were going to be vigilant and they were going to guard the pony. I don't have any idea what he did, right? <laughs> what his idea of guarding the pony, you know, he says that he never slept a wink. Um, it doesn't seem to have occurred to him to to actually like patrol by the rooms where the hobbits were supposed to be sleeping, right? I mean, the attack came right where Aragorn expected it, right? How Aragorn expected it, and, and you know, and um, um, anyway, but but it nevertheless seems to have taken Butterbert completely by surprise, uh, who heard uh, uh, who heard nothing. Um, so, um, yeah, so anyway, I, I, I really, uh, am not sure where he was, Butterbur, or what he was doing. The narrator has clearly reserved a certain amount of, uh, uh, skepticism, right? So he said in parentheses there, um, Um, he had hardly closed his eyes all night, so he said, but he had never heard a sound, right? Um, and I don't think that that is merely indirect dialogue, right? I mean, I, I think that the par parenthetical statement there is, uh, is charged with, with some, uh, 
polite skepticism, uh, not openly questioning his claim, right? Um, but nevertheless, uh, um, opening the uh, door to speculation about how vigilant, in fact, he was able uh, to uh, remain. Uh, Tony thinks that so he said sounds like a Sam line. Uh, you know, Tony, I kind of agree with that. I mean, I, I, I definitely do think that this, uh, that doesn't sound like the modern narrator. That sounds like either Frodo or Sam. Um, and if I had to guess, yeah, I would, I would probably, uh, uh, if I had to guess um, between Sam and Frodo there, I'd probably, I'd probably go with Sam as well. Um, I can imagine Frodo just kind of passing that over, right? And especially since it's parenthetical, Frodo would certainly have written this passage originally, right? Might Sam have added an editorial parentheses here? So he said, uh, that seems entirely, uh, uh, entirely possible. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Blue Wizard says that describing him as sleepy sounds uh, more like he just woke up versus a word like exhausted if he was up all night. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Tony, I agree. Frodo is a little proper. I don't think that he would make a kind of uh, a dig at, at Butterbur like that uh, in that kind of context. Um, but good. Okay, so Fort Thomas says, what do we suppose the invaders were searching for? It's a really good question. Um, so let's go back to the... Uh, Back to the physical evidence here. The windows have been forced open and we're swinging. Okay, that's, you know, their means of entry. That's obvious. Um, the curtains were flapping. The beds were tossed about. And the bolsters slashed and flung upon the floor. The brown mat was torn to pieces. So we have three things, right? Well, okay, four counting the flapping of the curtains. But that seems to be a logical consequence of the windows being open and swinging. Um, the beds are tossed about the bolsters are slashed and flung on the floor and the brown mat torn to pieces. Um, so I think uh, Rowan of Gondor, I do agree about the frustration, right? I do think that um, uh, the there's some frustration going on here. Is all of it frustration? Um, you know, I'm not sure. So here's the question to me. Can we figure out what Bill Fernie and the squint-eyed Southerner, who I presume are the two who perpetrated uh, this uh, uh, wanton destruction of bolsters and mats, um, if it's Bill Fernie and the squint-eyed Southerner who did this this work, what were their instructions? What was the plan? Um, did, as um, uh, one of you were asking just a minute back. Um, Fourth Donald was asking about this. You know, uh, Fourth Donald was saying he doubts that uh, the Wraith would have told Fernie about the ring. Uh, probably not. I mean, we do have <clears throat> we do have some um, some guidance for this, right? Some guidance for this uh, based on the relationship between the Nazgul and the Orcs, right? With this information, <clears throat> how Saruman treats his Orcs, how Sauron treats his Orcs. Most of the Orcs don't know about the ring, right? Grishnok is an exception to that. Um, uh, 
Good. Um, uh, Brandon is recalling that uh, they the the uh, the messenger right to uh, uh, to Dan in the Lonely Mountain uh, says that he's looking for a small trinket. Right? They did mention the ring because they knew about the ring. Right? They knew about Bilbo and the ring uh, and, and his ring. So you know they called it. The, he tried to downplay it. Right? And call it the least of rings. But he did kind of announce it there. Um, but um, I would think probably kidnapping. Probably kidnapping. Um, at the same time, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure that the ring raids would necessarily be all that particular. I guess the evidence of the Morgul weapon suggests that they do want them alive. He does, he does want Frodo alive. Um, because other, you know, he like the ring raid's own plan when they catch Frodo in the dark um, is to try to take him rather than kill him. Um, uh, now, right, exactly, you know, Lincoln, it's, they, they will have wraithified him so he won't be alive in the proper sense, right? But nevertheless, the, you know, it's not like they, so again, you could, one possible order which one could imagine the Nazgul giving to Bill Fernie and his compatriot are, uh, you know, slit their throats and bring their bodies, right? Kill them, don't despoil them, right? Kill them and bring their bodies to us just as is, right? And then we'll search them. Like, you know, that would have been a way to do it. Um, but I don't think... Um, that doesn't seem to fit with the Nazgul, the sort of the general uh, Nazgul approach. Um, again, the Nazgul don't seem in general to be trying to kill Frodo. Um, so that's probably not the case. I suspect that bringing them whole and unspoiled, Tony, exactly, is just the kind of thing that they were commanded. They, so it was almost certainly a kidnapping. Um, and... Uh, uh, yeah, so it was either a murder or a kidnapping. I don't think it was theft. I don't think they're searching uh, for anything. Um, I think they're ticked off. Um, so I think that frustration in being thwarted uh, is what is leading them to slash things, especially the tearing to pieces of the brown mat. The tearing to pieces of the brown mat is sort of particularly egregious, right? Um, the slashing of the bolsters could conceivably have happened quite like the film, except Bill Farney and not the Nazgul, right? Um, so, I mean, if if they had stabbed down into the bolsters first, that would suggest, of course, that murder had been the goal all along. Um, but um, but I don't think so. Yeah, Roan of Gondor, I agree. I think that they were... Um, I think that they wanted the ring bearer alive. Um, therefore, it seems that the property damage done uh, in the room at the Prancing Pony um, is either simply an act of frustration on the part of Bill Fernie uh, and his accomplice, or it's maybe a desire to kind of conceal what was going on, right? They don't want it known that it was a, a, a you know, they don't want it to be obvious that it was a kidnapping attempt, so they make it look like a, a robbery or something, or I don't know, random vandalism. I, I'm not sure whether the property damage done in the Prancing Pony there is uh, malicious frustration or if it's cunning, right? An attempt at cunning. Um, not quite really sure. Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, 
anyway, not really sure exactly, you know, what their plan was there. Um, or rather, why they did exactly what they did, why they ripped up the mat in particular. Uh, but, uh, but I, you know, it, so Tony, it's possible that they were searching the room. But see, I can't really buy it because a fairly cursory search of the room would have showed them that none of the Hobbits' possessions were there. If the Hobbits had, like, left their packs and their packs were all ripped open and their stuff scattered all over the place, then it would be pretty clear that, you know, they were looking, they were searching for something through their through their stuff. But as soon as they could see that there were no actual Hobbits in the beds and that there was no Hobbit gear, I mean, is nothing but, like, the Prancing Pony stuff, right? There's nothing but hotel furniture in that room. Um, they, uh, uh, they, you know, I, I, they have no call to go on searching. What, what, do, they, what do they think? They're going to have, like, taken everything but, you know, the trinket that the Nazgul want? Um, that seems to me very unlikely. So I don't think they're actually searching the room or, or have cause to search the room. Maybe, again, they think they, they want to make it look like somebody was searching the, the, the room. They want to make it look like a theft or something. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I, all things considered, I think they were going after the hobbits. And, again, I think that that's just exactly what Aragorn was expecting. Um, everything about Aragorn's own expectations seemed to be played out. Again, we talked about this the night before. Why? Why do the fake hobbits in the beds... Right, in order to get them to commit, in order to get them to come in through the window and show their hand, right? And that's exactly what they did. They thought there were hobbits lying there in the beds. They came in to snatch the hobbits, um, found that they weren't really hobbits, either got ticked off and started slashing stuff, um, or, you know, decided to try to make it look like they weren't there as kidnappers or something. You know, maybe if it was just somebody coming in and slashing bolsters... and ripping up mats, it would be dismissed as like a prank, right? Maybe they could get off with vandalism instead of being accused with attempted kidnapping. You know, I'm not sure uh, uh, exactly what that, uh, what their, what their thinking was there. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um. (laughs) I love the juxtaposition between Butterbur's comments and Strider's response. Um, first of all, you know, so this unprecedented event, guests unable to sleep in their beds, good bolsters ruined. What are we coming to? <laughs> right? First, you know, the, I, Butterbur's kind of sense of proportion here is really funny, isn't it? Um, Guests unable to sleep in their beds. Like, okay, that's pretty bad, though. The way that he said it doesn't make it sound really as bad as it was, right? Like, attempted kidnap and murder of my guests under my roof would be, uh, uh, you know, a little bit more more blunt, right? A little bit more direct. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> but but in he's just like the guests unable to sleep in their beds, right? Like guests rented rooms and then they weren't able to stay in those rooms. So I've like collected their money, but I haven't like given them a room. Like this is a hospitality nightmare, right? And and perfectly good bolsters. Oh man, the bolsters! Oh, you know how much those bolsters cost? Uh, it's um, 
you know, it's really funny. Yeah, that fourth Dalma says, if this gets out, it's going to be bad for business, right? Uh, uh, exactly, right? You know, like people are going to think that he swindled people, right? And then he's got to buy new bolsters too. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, this is, uh, this is, this is, this is, this is really bad. Um, what are we coming to? He says. Now, clearly, when Butterbur says, "What are we coming to?" This is a rhetorical question, right? He, that is not a question that expects an answer. Uh, he's just saying, you know, yeah, this is clearly, this is going to be bad, right? Um, yeah, Valoria, I agree. You can just hear Strider rolling his eyes here, right? What are we coming to? Dark times, right? Um, and, you know, Strider's clear message is, look, okay, um, guests unable to sleep in their beds and good bolsters ruined. That is literally the beginning right and it's gonna get so much worse than this uh your own perspective um is gonna change butterbur right and of course we'll see this right um we will see butterbur having a sort of new and improved um perspective on things right outlook on life when uh when strider gets back to him um Again, it's there's still going to be a certain amount of. Uh, it's still not going to be the same as the Hobbits, right? He's still not going to be seeing everything that the rest of the company does, but it's going to be different from what it is right here. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, exactly, Lincoln. By this time, there will be five people killed, killed dead, right there in Bree. Yeah, exactly. He's going to have a different perspective on things. Um, and but but Tony, you are right to say that while at the same time, and I think that Valoria is right as well. There is a bit of a sort of a suppressed sigh. You know, Strider knows exactly how little Butterbur understands the seriousness of this, right? And yet he is genuinely concerned. Um, yeah. Oh, and Karita, it was years, years before I learned what a bolster was. Um, I had no idea what a bolster is. Yeah, that's <laughs> JJ just posted a picture of a bolster. A bolster are those long round pillows uh, that you like lean up against that you put at the uh, that that you can put under your head or you can put under your feet or whatever. They have them on hotel beds sometimes. That's a bolster. I literally never knew what a bolster was for. I don't even know how many years I read. The Lord of the Rings before, and that that was uh, totally my introduction to the word bolster as well, and I had no clue what it was. Um, uh, yeah, but of course, as soon as I saw one, uh, well, no, I mean I'd seen them before, but as soon as somebody told me that thing was a bolster, I was like, oh, well, now that makes perfect sense. I can totally see why you would put that lengthwise in the bed and make it look like somebody was sleeping in there. Uh, okay, right, got it. Um, but anyhow, okay. But but just to come back to the point that um, um, to come back to the point that um, who was making Tony was making. He is looking out for the welfare um, of Bree and of Butterbur, right? Um, for the present, you may be left in peace when you have got rid of us. Um, we will leave at once. He is. He doesn't want anything worse to happen to the prince. So he's cautioning Butterbur that worse stuff is 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 coming, right? But he's not uh, uh, he's not looking forward to that, right? Um, he's not, uh, 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 you know, he doesn't take that lightly, and he does 
uh, would like to kind of get some of the heat off of uh, uh, Butterbur and uh, the Bransk Pony here. Um, so we're going to leave right away. And again, this is clearly his plan. He's not surprised. He takes them right in not to see what happened, but to show them what he knew happened. Again, I think he heard them in there. Um, it doesn't seem that the parlor is very far from their rooms. Uh, and remember Fro Frodo waking up that first time in the night as if he had heard a sound, right? I think he did hear a sound. I think he probably heard, uh, you know, the windows being fr forced open uh, in their bedrooms. I think Strider heard it too. He didn't go because he's not trying to fight him, right? He's just he wants to protect. He was going to leave the hobbits behind to go in and chase off whoever was in their room, um, just in case they were coming in two ways at once, right? So he's he's, he's going to stay. He's, he's st guarding the door, right, to make sure they don't come in. He he knew they were there. He expected what he found in his plan all along was we're going to stay here the night. As soon as dawn comes, we're out of here, right? As soon as uh, as soon as it's day. Um. Yeah. Okay. So, um, <laughs> Belongsmond is still worried that Strider isn't armed for combat. I still think that he could take Bill Fernie and the Squint-Eyed Southerner, uh, even with the fact that his primary weapon is a broken sword. I'm still not worried about Strider in that case. I'll take Strider, uh, in that fight. Um, uh, but, uh, anyway. That's right. Tony was thinking the same thing. Tony, I knew you were going to be worried about that. Um, so anyway, hey, I have an idea. Let's do another slide. Okay. Mr. Butterbur hurried off to see that their ponies were got ready and to fetch them a bite. But very soon he came back in dismay. The ponies had vanished. The stable doors had all been opened in the night and they were gone. Not only Mary's ponies, but every other horse and beast in the place. Frodo was crushed by the news. How could they hope to reach Rivendell on foot, pursued by mounted enemies? They might as well set out for the moon. Strider sat silent for a while, looking at the hobbits as if he was weighing up their strength and courage. Ponies would not help us to escape horsemen, he said at last, thoughtfully, as if he guessed what Frodo had in mind. We should, go much, we should not go much slower on foot, not on the roads that I mean to take. I was going to walk in any case. It is the food and stores that trouble me. We cannot count on getting anything to eat between here and Rivendell, except what we take with us, and we ought to take plenty to spare, for we may be delayed or forced to go round about, far out of the direct way. How much are you prepared to carry on your backs? Okay. Um. <laughs> so, <laughs> this raises the question again of, wait, so exactly what were Butterbur and Nob and Bob doing all night? So so somebody broke into the stable and let all the horses loose, right? And broke in, you know, with a loud enough bang that, you know, they just forced the windows open. So somebody, you know, somebody, somebody forced in the windows uh, and... Uh, uh, enough that it woke Frodo out of sleep at least one, maybe several, probably several doors down, right? And here's Butterbur who claimed to have been patrolling his his inn in constant vigilance all night. And he didn't notice any of these things happening. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> this is really, this is really... Uh, not not a good mark on him as a as a as a guardian. Um, 
And uh, yes, Brandon, uh, this is a very big deal. Horse thievery is a major crime, major crime. It's like grand theft horse, right? Uh, 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 horse thieving is almost the worst thing. Uh, I mean, like murder is worse, obviously, but um, as far as uh, uh, property is concerned, uh, horses are extremely valuable. Um, there's very little uh, else that you could steal that would be more valuable than a horse uh, that you can easily walk away. Land is more valuable, right? But that's harder to walk off with. Um, so it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, horse thieving is a big deal. Uh, and somebody, somebody uh, uh, taking all the horses in the stable, that's huge i mean that's that's uh uh absolutely enormous um uh yeah no see valor i would think grand theft equestrian would mean that you're stealing a horseman right which would be which would be different um uh yeah <laughs> uh, uh, grand theft equine maybe maybe amathorn i can go with that i think um but um anyway okay uh, was it who was saying this? Mike? Yes, Mike. I had exactly the same reaction when I was, think when I was thinking about these passages for tonight. Uh, namely, that I've been misunder I've been underestimating Bill Fernie all my life. Right. Um, this I think is a this is a really cunning thing to do. Um, It makes me wonder if it was Bill Fernie's plan, right? Um, first of all, I do think that Bill Fernie and his uh, uh, and his accomplice, right, Bill Fernie and the Squin-eyed Southerner, by themselves, could certainly have done this. Um, mostly, since remember, it's going to be we're, we're, it's going to be revealed before very long that only one horse is actually stolen, right? Uh, the rest are just are just scattered. So all they have to do is open up all the stables and um, and sort of shoo them out or lead them away right it's 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 not a huge job um so uh so yeah i i and 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 he has time remember when frodo wakes up hearing the sound it's in the early night right so the first thing they do it's dark they wait for you know a couple hours after dark they break in to the room they just have to slash some bolsters toss some beds around rip up a mat and then leave right dissatisfied so then what's plan b Right. Plan B is we've got a um, uh, plan B is we need to we need to find out uh, how we can keep how we can how we can, so we didn't get them. Right. Um, they were supposed to kidnap them, probably. Right. But what's the next best thing? Right. Strand them in Bree that they know the Nazgul are there. And the Nazgul are mounted, but not only are the Nazgul mounted, they're Nazgul, right? I mean, the Black Riders are really intimidating, and Bill Fernie has himself, no doubt, been personally intimidated by them, um, as most likely the Squint-Eyed Southerner. Um, and uh, anyway, yeah, so I do think Lincoln, yes, presumably the one horse stolen was stolen by the Squint-Eyed Southerner, I would think. Um, it's, he didn't leave. Uh, he's still in Bill Fernie's house. Um, but that he might want to leave afterwards. Uh, I don't think he's 
planning on uh, moving in with Bill Fernie and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, starting a long-term relationship. Uh, I think he wants to leave town, and so he steals one of the horses. Um, uh, Fort Thomas, I don't know where the stolen horse is hidden, uh, presumably not at Bill Fernie's house, as that would be, uh, well, not a, you know, a smoking gun, but a stolen horse. Um, uh, you know, um, and yes, Blue Wizard, I do imagine uh, that emptying out the stables would be a noisy affair. Um, Tony, you're right. If the horses know you, it's not. But these many of these would be strange horses. In fact, uh, it's clear that many of the horses that are let out are horses that belong to the, the people coming up the Greenway from the south, right? So many of them are not just regular Breland horses, though, uh, though some of them are, uh, of course. This is where most of the horses in Bree are kept, in fact. Um, but uh, but in any case, I don't believe that this could have done been done silently, which uh, seems to me uh, support for what is for the uh, the the snarky implications of what is probably Sam's parenthetical interjection about uh, uh, doubting the uh, uh, the 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 truth of Butterbur's claim that he didn't sleep a wink all night. Um, Brandon has this horrible feeling, feeling that maybe Bob was part of the gang. I refuse to believe that Bob was part of the gang. Um, now, having said that, I couldn't disprove it. Brandon, I absolutely could not disprove it. In fact, if you wanted to make an argument that Bob is in collusion with the outlaws, um, you could easily do that, right? Remember how Bob is suspiciously absent later on because he goes home to his family, right? Huh? Right? But no, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't suspect Bob at all, especially since I continue to believe that Bob is a hobbit. And so I don't think that any of the hobbits have joined uh, the, uh, the outlaws. So yeah, no, um, I, 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 I refuse to countenance these slanderous accusations uh, against... Bob. And in fact, I came across today, I don't know that we'll get to it tonight, but uh, coming up soon is one of the chief passages that that I think in retrospect always made me believe that Bob uh, was a hobbit. And still, I'm still convinced that Bob, in my brain, Bob is a hobbit and always will be. Um, yeah. Um, I know. See, Tony, exactly. I can I can just barely handle the concept that Bob might be human. Uh, if he's also if he's also a bad guy, I I, I don't think I can live with that either. Um, so uh, anyway, I do think that the likeliest explanation is that Butterbert, Nob, and Bob all fell asleep on the job. I don't think, you know, they're not like patrolling is not, not their normal gig, you know, and they work really hard. They've got, they've got a really, uh, a really demanding day job. So, uh, um, so yeah, yeah, no, I definitely, uh, I definitely think that uh, uh, it is probably honest failure in vigilance uh by them that has uh, that has led to this booful says uh bob is saruman in disguise uh yeah that's uh uh probably not um okay
Strider's reaction. Notice that uh, Strider is, and Valori, by the way, I agree. I do think that they would have tried to stay awake. I'm not accusing them of lying exactly, um, just as of failing to, to accomplish that which they seem to have earnestly, you know, desired to do but failed to do. Um, anyway, uh, the other thing I was just going to uh, point out, oh yeah, Strider's reaction. So Strider's reaction. Um, this is Bill Fernie's best moment, I think. Anyway, uh, like when, when, when his backup plan is revealed, um, if I can't get the hobbits for myself, I'm going to take away the ponies, right? Uh, so that they have to leave here on foot. Because if they walk out of, whether they're with Strider or not, if they leave here on foot uh, with the Nazgul on horses closing in on them, they're toast, right? Um, so I think this is probably, I, I have to imagine that part of the frustration going into uh, uh, tearing up mats, I mean, so if I were actually depicting, uh, you know, Bill Fernie and the Squint-Eyed Southerner, if I was showing that, if, you know, like, so for instance, if I were being consulted uh, for a TV series about the Lord of the Rings in a theoretical world, um, what I would, and I, and I were depicting this scene with uh, Bill Fernie and the Squint-Eyed Southerner having broken in through the window uh, and looking at the, uh, you know, trying to kidnap the hobbits who turn out to not be there. Um, I think that the thing that they like, what they would be saying um, to uh, uh, to each other is like they're 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 going to be scared, right? They're just mad. They're scared. Um, the 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 Nazgul are intimidating, right? And the Nazgul told them, presumably, again, if our reading is right, the Nazgul told them, go to the inn, break into the inn, bring back the hobbits, right? And they have failed. Um, uh, they have failed to do what the Nazgul told them to do, right? So they're now looking at, so they're, they're standing in a room with no hobbits. They're like trying to think of what to do. They have no plan, right? Um, the hobbits are so presumably there in the inn, but they don't know. And then if they, they're going to get caught, if they go like blundering around in the inn, um, you know, maybe they'll trip over Butterbur sleeping in the hall or something and, and wake everybody up and, and then they'll be in trouble. Right. So and if they go back to the Nazgul and say, hi, sorry, uh, it didn't work out. We don't have the hobbits for you. That's also probably they're going to be in trouble there. Right. So I think it's both anger and fear that lead them to to be violent and vandalous. Right. Uh, in the room. But they think on their feet, right? They say, okay, let's have something to report. Let's accomplish something um, so that we can, uh, um, so that we can go back and have something to report to them and say, okay, so the bad news is we don't have any uh, prisoners. We didn't actually succeed in kidnapping any hobbits, but it's okay. We've arranged things so that they're going to be helpless, Right. Um, they came in on ponies. Uh, we chased away. We stole all the horses and ponies. Right. We took them all away so that, uh, you know, they're going to be on foot and you'll be able to get them. No sweat. Right. It's still obviously not uh, 
plan A, right? Uh, but it's way better than just saying we we've you know we 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 missed. We've got nothing, right? Um, so uh, so exactly. That's you know, Mike. That's it, right? Losing the horses is mission accomplished. Frodo is in Nazgul hands. Um, that's you can see this is this seems to, would seem to be how Bill Fernie is going to try to pitch this to the Nazgul. Right. Um, and I, this is really a pretty good plan. But again, notice, um, uh, <laughs> notice, this, sorry, I'm looking at you guys teasing me about my Amazon comments. Um, uh, notice that uh, uh, Strider's reaction, Strider has seen everything coming so far, right? Did he see this coming? No, I think he clearly didn't see this coming. Um, this is the, now, Bill Fernie has managed to surprise Strider here, I think. But he is not uh, scared himself. He is not dismayed himself. What he is, is worried about the hobbits, right? Is this going to lead them to despair? And you can see that they're tempted, Right, Frodo's response is uh, is despair, or you know, or rather, what the narrator tells us of the Hobbit's response, right? Um, and this again sounds like Frodo, the narrator, telling us about Frodo, the the, the Hobbit's response, right? Um, how could they hope to reach Rivendell on foot, pursued by mounted enemies? They might as well set out for the moon. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Strider is going to be assessing them and points out, actually, you know what, it's fine. But it would have been kind of nice to have at least a pack pony, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, how much are you prepared to carry on their back? So he's, this is, this is the, and remember all that testing that was going on in their conversation back in chapter 10, right? And this is sort of like, well, it's not the final test, of course, but this is, uh, you know, uh, now it's really push is coming to shove, right? Um, now that real pressure is on them, now that they're being put in a real position like this, um, what's uh, what are they going to do? And we get the answers, right? As much as we must, said Pippin with a sinking heart, but trying to show that he was tougher than he looked or felt. I can carry enough for two, said Sam defiantly. Can't anything be done, Mr. Butterbur? asked Frodo. Can't we get a couple of ponies in the village, or even just, or even one just for the baggage? I don't suppose we could hire them, but we might be able to buy them, he added doubtfully, wondering if he could afford it. I doubt it, said the landlord unhappily. The two or three riding ponies that there were in Bree were stabled in my yard, and they're gone. As for other animals, horses or ponies for draft or whatnot, there are very few of them in Bree, and they won't be for sale. But I'll do what I can. I'll rout out Bob and send him, a send him round as soon as may be. Yes, said Strider reluctantly. You had better do that. I am afraid we shall have to try to get one pony at least. But so ends all hope of starting early and slipping away quietly. We might as well have blown a horn to announce our departure. That was part of their plan, no doubt. There's one crumb of comfort, said Mary, and more than a crumb, I hope. We can have breakfast while we wait and sit down to it. Let's get Nob. Uh, and of course, uh, you, uh, you 
have to love those final comments, right? Uh, and I think that both um, the thing that I really uh, the thing that I really love here, right? Um, both halves of this are the response. How are the hobbits going to respond, right? What is what what is their metal like, right? What are they you know, when 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 everything's on the table, right? When it really comes down to it, how are they going to respond to adversity? And in this passage, we see both of the answers. Um, we see both of the answers to that uh, to that question, right? First, the surprising resolution, right? Um, Pippin saying, "We'll carry as much as we must," right? Sam defiantly saying, "I can carry enough for two, right? Uh, they are willing to do. They they might not like it. They might not be accustomed to it, right? Pippin's heart is sinking. Uh, he doesn't look or feel very tough, but he he wants to be considered tough, right? So they have resolution. Uh, Frodo even has some resourcefulness, right? Can we get another? You know, can can we can we solve this problem in a different way, right? Um, and then, uh, yeah, so so first they respond with more kind of mental and at least promise of physical toughness um, than, uh, uh, than, than we see. Although the, um, although the conversation in the Peter Jackson movie, uh, this is, of course, the famous one where Merry and Pippin are talking about all the meals and how Aragorn doesn't know about, you know, all those other meals, right? He doesn't know about second breakfast. Uh, you know, that was, of course, a very popular scene in the movie and whatever. It was a very fun scene. Um, but it doesn't do much justice to the toughness of the hobbits, right? Uh, and their determination, their resolution uh, to be considered tough, Um it's one thing that kind of that annoyed me a little bit in that film is how long Mary and Pippin go on acting like it's a Hobbit walking party um, uh, and not really kind of taking things seriously. It almost seems like Mary and Pippin don't take the journey seriously until Boromir's death scene, basically, at the very end of the first film. Um, but uh, anyway, um, I... Uh, uh, and like I said, it, it works fine in the film. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not complaining. But it is unlike this, right? Um, uh, it's um, because again, the first thing that they show to Strider is that they are, they are, they are resolute, um, and they are tough. But what else does it show them, right? The other thing that we see is Mary's comment, right? Um, the positive side of this development, which remember is the one development that has caught Strider by surprise. He expected the break in. Uh, he expected all that stuff. He did not expect the horse thieving, right? The horse thieving was Bill Fernie's master stroke. And even Strider is forced to kind of recalculate and, uh, and try to, and, and he's been, his own plans have been thrown off by this, right? Um, and yet Mary's response Hey, but the upside is we can have a nice sit-down breakfast now, you know, and that's uh, um, that's really cool, right? Again, that also is very Hobbit-like. That is, this shows, this is not showing that they're soft. It's the opposite of that, right? This shows their own flexibility. It's what we see in the Hobbits again and again, right? When th terrible things are happening, um, their spirits remain... Uh, remain buoyant, right? Um, 
their ability to respond to circumstances like this in this way, right? Here's Strider being like, are they going to panic? Are they going to freak out? What are they going to do? And Mary's like, we can have a three-course breakfast now. Let's sit down and eat, right? There's the answer to your question. That's what they're going to do. Um, and uh, that, I think, is, uh, is, is pretty awesome. Um, and an important thing about hobbits. Again, I think that the... Uh, I've often felt that the relationship between hobbits and food is kind of misunderstood or at least uh, misconstrued in some ways. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's not about being obsessed with food, really. Um, Matt, Mary is well-regarded, well-named in this regard. I agree with you. Uh, that seems to me the essence and the, 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 the purpose of it. Um, the, real, the real heart of the point there. Um, but anyway, okay. All right. So I think I'm going to stop there. Um, oh yeah, actually I said that was Bill Fernie's best moment. I actually think the horse thieving is not the best moment. It's the sale of Bill the Pony. That's an even better moment. Oh, I seem to have started my slides playing. Okay. All right. We're going. Yeah. Okay. So we'll start with Bill Fernie's greatest triumph next time. Um, but we should we should wrap up. It's starting to get late here, uh, and I want to go on to our field trip now. Um, okay, all right. Um, yeah. Well, John, growing food and eating it occupied most of everyone's time in a pre-industrialized culture, right? I mean, like that's kind of what it meant to live in a pre-industrial. That's like the difference between being in a, in a pre-industrial culture and a post-industrial. I mean, most people in the history of the world have spent most of their time growing food and eating it, right? Um, now that doesn't mean that the hobbits were living in a in a you know like a desperate struggle for survival all the time. They were very comfortable, right? But but again, like it's it's. Uh, that doesn't suggest obsession. That's just it's it's uh, part of the characterization of the culture of the Shire as the simple life, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, anyway. Um, okay, let's. Uh, Let's move on to the field trip. So, uh, so I'm going to say goodbye to the folks on Twitter. Um, I will. We again. We'll be back next week for our regular class. We'll uh, carry on through. We'll meet Bill the Pony. We should be able to paste Bill Fernie in the face with an apple by the end of next time too. That's that's, that's sort of my hope there. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, we'll. Um, We'll, we'll get to that next time. We will have class next week. By the way, uh, the week after that, I'm going to be away with my family. My family and I are traveling for a couple days after Mythmoot. Uh, so next week is the week of Mythmoot, but I'm, I'll still be home on Tuesday. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we will have class next week, and then not the week after that. But I'm so going to say goodbye to the folks on Twitter. Thanks. You can switch over to Twitch and join us there if I can hit the X here and stop things going. There we go. All right. Okay. All right. Here we go. Oh, what did I just do? I just summoned my links, apparently. That was an accident. I don't know, but it's really awesome, man. Yeah, okay. 
I've got a lynx now. What do you have? What is that? A, 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 That's a, a beaver. Oh, it's a beaver. I didn't see its tail. Okay, I'm like, yeah. is that a wombat, a capybara? What is that? Okay, it's a beaver, right? So did, is, that must be an English beaver when they're extinct now. So abnormally large. I don't know. Yeah, it's fatter than the beavers we have in New Hampshire. That's for sure. Okay. Well, that's that's uh, that's industrialization. You know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Right. Yeah. Post-industrial beavers. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Uh, this is like a big old. This is a big old Narnia beaver. He's gonna, yeah. You know. Exactly. Show me where safety from the white witches. <laughs> All right. So tonight we're gonna head back to Angmar again. So uh, I <laughs> hope that you have uh, done the book six. Uh, all of book six that is of, if not uh, we're gonna find out <laughs> that's right if not you won't be able to hide because you'll be dropping dead so um because mm-hmm. i want to explore into central angmar now and follow the road up um so yes if you didn't do your prereqs you can always watch on twitch so that you can follow along with our discussion you just won't be able to actually ride with us and i don't know if we have any uh well we'll see when we get to Algaier, i guess so let's go on our normal route through um, mm-hmm. Bree to Esteldeen and then from Esteldeen on up to Alkair. But yeah, that's an interesting thing. And yeah, you're, you're, um, h- how we've reviewed the, the Prancing Pony attack um, really does change how Bill Fernie is viewed before. Yeah. He was just, you know, the jerky neighbor. Right, right, exactly. I mean, it's, it's uh, it is really interesting. I, I Bill Fernie uh, is a more interesting character, I think, than he he might sort of seem at first. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and give like in my own head, I'm gonna give Bill Fernie credit for coming up with the horse stealing concept, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, because it seems there does seem to be a kind of base cunning associated. Uh, by both Strider and Butterbur with uh, with Fernie, um, mm-hmm. so that 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 cunning I think is certainly not uh, uh, beyond him to say like okay, having uh, having failed to work this out as we planned, let's. Uh, it's uh, at least stall for time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna meet Nakaira Omali. That's the plan. And he probably knew his name as Strider did. If they didn't have any pack or supplies or a way to travel swiftly, the Lone Lands could be a death sentence. He'd run out of food. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, um, of course, if the Nazgul are trying to acquire the, the hobbits, then um, you know, having them die of starvation doesn't exactly uh, fit the bill. But but no, exa- I mean, it's, they're, they're doing them, right? I or mean, they'd be knows. easier to run down at any rate. Absolutely. They'd be easier to run down. Absolutely. He has every reason to think that he's put them not just into a an awkward position, but into an almost impossible position. It's so funny as a kid, and I posted this in the Discord chat, but it's so funny as a kid, I always assumed that all the horses were gone because they were just afraid of having the Black Riders near them. Because uh, right. I think Mary made some comment about the animals, you know, right, the right, howling the, of animals. Right, the dogs and the geese and the horses. Right? Yeah. yeah, and yeah. for some reason I made that connection in my head that the horses all bolted because they were scared. Yeah, that is interesting. Um I don't think I ever thought that, but that seems to me totally 
logical. You know, I can I can I can imagine thinking that. Um, uh, you know, even I wonder thinking towards the passage that we didn't quite get to tonight, but the you know the narrator's explanation of what happens mm-hmm. right um the way that the ponies ran off to find fatty lumpkin right the fact that that was their <laughs> response um is itself that's kind of interesting all by itself isn't it um because it does suggest that they were afraid they did this before they ran off to find fatty yeah. lumpkin when they were confronted with barrow whites right um you wonder if tom now has like 40 horses at his house right now <laughs> right right um and uh so the 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 parallel is kind of uh, the parallel is kind of suggestive isn't it right that mm-hmm. the barrow whites freaked out the ponies understandably right so what did the ponies do they sensibly ran away and found fatty lumpkin um if the horses were equally freaked out you know in a similar way by the nazgul what would they do well they would go find fatty lumpkin right um uh, so I can I can see you know that parallel by itself would kind of to me sort of support the idea that I mean I could imagine I don't think I ever did come to that conclusion uh, that way but um, this is just eleven year old musing here I don't know it's it's yeah it's no, so it's one of those things I never you never question these things these right, little conceptions right. you have as a kid until you look closer right exactly like my conception that Bob is a hobbit um, but yeah yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I will come back, I think, next week. I will make my master argument for why Bob is obviously a hobbit, but we'll see. Um, uh, anyway, yeah. I, I, uh, um, but, Karita, I agree. I quite like uh, the uh, 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 juvenile Valori's interpretation of the horse's like having more sense than the people like detecting that the Nazgul are near and saying like, you know, we're out of here. Oh, heck no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. And uh, JJ, I just want you to know that I'm not going to rise to your obvious baiting. Uh, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So uh, I-, I want that known right up front. Um, but Emma Thorne, I, I, I agree. I do think that find fatty lumpkin is uh, pretty much a, is a pretty good strategy. When in doubt, find fatty lumpkin is a uh, a pretty good rule for life, really. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. When in when in doubt, run run away and find fatty lumpkin. I think uh, I would like that on a bumper sticker. Oh, guess what? I discovered that. Mm. There is so I was uh, you know it's like the end of the year right it's the end of the school yeah, year yeah. so we were having we're having like all these end of the school year things so I was at my uh, uh, I was at Matthias's my ten year old's elementary school band concert which was uh, even more gripping than you could possibly imagine but um, well while I was there I made this incredible discovery there is a girl in his grade whose last name is actually Lumpkin. Like there is a Lumpkin family that lives in my town. I, I do recall that it being a surname. I used to work in the in the office of my music department at my university, and I had to do all the the envelope stuffing. Ah, and I do okay. recall seeing Lumpkin as a surname. Yeah, there's there's a girl whose last name is Lumpkin, and I was I was I I, I was looking at the program, and she was introduced. I'm like, 
Her name is – I thought it was a typo, but it's not because I saw – as I was on the way out, I saw they, they had a whole bunch of student art up on the walls in the school. Uh, and I saw a poster that she did clearly with her name, Lumpkin, written at the bottom of it. And I was like, OK, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. But like if my son ended up marrying that girl, I would, I would totally <laughs> want him to change his name. You know, like to, to, to hers, because I mean, you can't waste a name like that. You know, I mean, holy cow! That's pretty uh, awesome. Yeah. So reminds me, my brother went to kindergarten with a girl named Arwen. See now, but that's different. Like first yeah, I know, names, right? That just means like you've got like a geeky, you know, an, an excellently geeky family. Um, but the last name Lumpkin, I mean, I, you know, Amethorn, I didn't realize it was, I mean, I, I didn't think it was an actual last name either. Uh, you know, I mean, like, of all the names, it doesn't, that doesn't sound real. Like Fatty Lumpkin, I mean, you've got the, the Fatty is your first name and Lump is in your last name. I mean, come on, it's just like, you know, Fatty, I found it. I found it. Fatty Fatness, you know. Yeah, well, no, it's an East Anglian variant. Uh, it's a derivative of the name Lambkin, meaning the son of Lambert. Aha, uh-huh. okay. Okay. It's East Anglian, you say? East Anglian. Doesn't get more English than that. Dang it. No, <laughs> and not only... Oh, man. Okay. It's son of Lambert. That Well, then, if it's East Anglian, you've got to wonder if Tolkien actually knew of it as a surname. Yeah, you also sound like it's a. Sh- it also sounds like it's a, sham- a shepherd sort of shepherding yeah. sort of name. Yeah, like wow. maybe somebody who's good at lambing. So, in which case, that that takes it away from. Um, uh, that 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 takes it away from. Uh, like Tolkien just made up this name because it goes with fatty with fatty, you know, and instead choosing it right because that'd be like somebody naming a cat today you know professor mew mew jefferson or something right well (laughs) no because it would be i mean it's it's still a play on the last name it's not a coincidence that his first name is fatty and his last name has the word lump in it right i mean that's that's clearly that's clearly an intentional joke um, but it's just a different kind of intentional joke, right? It's make it's making yeah. a play on an existing name instead of inventing the name out of whole cloth, which I always assumed he had done until the revelation I received uh, at the elementary school band concert this year when I discovered there was a family, a whole family of Lumpkins living in my own town. Um, uh, I mean, like, how could you... I guess it's really kind of good that I never earlier on in my life came across any lumpkins because, like, how could I possibly not refer? I, I don't think I could have physically restrained myself from referring to that girl as my jolly lumpkin when I saw her. And, like, you know, oh, I'd be like looking at restraining orders next thing I knew, you know, I mean, like, so it's probably for the best. It's a good urge to resist. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, uh-huh. Any, yeah, yeah. Anyhow. Oh, oh. So it it'd be more like naming your dog Angela Basset Hound. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what it would be right. like. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, now that we saw that, I had to share the Lumpkin news because this was a revelation <laughs> to me. Uh, so let's uh, we we better we better start moving because we've got some a little bit of ground to cover. So we're heading off. Uh, uh, retracing some of our steps, but we're heading off through 
That's right. This is Myers of the Muck people here. That's right. And we're gonna we're gonna go. We spent our time down in the uh, what may have been an old inland sea. Um, uh-huh. uh, looking, uh, spending our time with the turtles and slugs before, and now we're gonna um, follow the road here. Um, oh, JJ, my son plays the trumpet. He was playing the trumpet, and a fine job That's he did cool. of playing the trumpet. My my son's not elected not to continue in band since it's no longer required. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, he's, yeah. you know, he's four foot tall and they gave him a trombone. The thing is as big as he is. Ah. He says, I feel like I feel like that one scene in Nosferatu where he's carrying his coffin around the whole time. <laughs> well, certainly going around with like a trumpet or like a trombone or a euphonium case is yeah, kind of just, like that. He decided um, French would be easier. And I'm like, ha, 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 OK. <laughs> yeah, I um, I I was very admiring of so in the in the elementary school band there was one girl playing the trombone and one girl playing the baritone uh and i was i was i was uh feeling greatly admiring of the the one single trombonist uh yeah, yeah, but I was a kid. They were still saying awful things like, "Oh, the flute is a girl instrument," and this yeah. Is, yeah, or "This is a boy instrument." It's right. percussion's a boy instrument. It's like, what in the crap? Yeah, yeah. What part of my body am I required to play this with? Right, exactly. Um, okay, so the reason I paused here at this intersection is I'm trying to figure out. So these roads. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just a path really right no evidence that this was an actual road right no no okay so that's not so i'm just trying to trying to see if we can learn anything about the okay right and they're straight across from us there that fire we can see that's the orc camp right so that's yeah that's the that's where the orcs are okay oh yeah um because so we don't actually see any road so this intersection this is really these are paving stones yeah, the O'Hare used this road. I've, there's a yes. couple of quests where they use this as a road. Right, right. Um, but yeah, but this is uh, this is the, this is not cracked dirt. This is paving stones, right? Yes. Okay, so the path that we came to up here is the path used by the current inhabitants, right, or like the inhabitants of the last uh, century or whatever, right? Last few centuries. Yeah. That- that one's more like the college students cutting across the quad kind of. Exactly. Path. Whereas this is the old road from the people who built all these ruins. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Just And this is coming down from presumably those cities up in the north that we explored uh-huh. before. Right. So, okay. So there yeah, yeah, weren't yeah. any roads, real roads, that is old Angmarim roads that went um, down to Alkire really. Uh-huh. Because that's just a modern sort of squatter's place. Okay. All right. All right. Trying to get a sense of the landscape here. Uh, not the current landscape. Trying to get a sense of the historical landscape uh, to understand, to see if we can if we can figure out. That's the really fun thing as we've been doing, as we, we've been going through Angmar, right? Doing like some uh, like investigative archaeology to sort of see <laughs> if we can discover the history of this place and its story. So I 
do enjoy that, and it is surprising how much I've I've forgotten that I've forgotten. Yeah, I've forgotten that I remembered, or you know, <laughs> since my art history days. Okay, so we came down here. So the road leads us to the beach, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> this is the beach. This is waterfront. Yeah. So if we're Definitely still operating the assumption, this is the waterfront. So so the road takes you to the beach, but then it comes to the beach, and then it turns right and left along the beach. To the right goes yeah, up to the place where we – Yeah, we can still see that huge old tree that we were looking at there before. And oh, then yeah. you've got the – and then up on the right is mostly just goblin camp, but there was some stuff in the walls up there too and everything. So, yes. Okay. Um, so, okay. So now, so whatever that place was, and it looked like it was a uh, residential, right? The place yeah, yeah. down to the South the there with the property. tree in the middle, the beachfront property. That's right. Um, so now we follow the road on to the north, and here's where we are going to. What's well, getting green here? It is getting green. Is the sky green now? Huh. Hey, look. Whoops. I'm looking at the underside of somebody's horse. Why? Why isn't the sky? Uh, what happened to the lightning bit? Yeah, we don't have our force field. Huh. And the pools down there look all blue, just like they were supposed to last time, but it was too gloomy. Yeah, the sky looks suspiciously normal. See, yeah, now they now these guys look enticing. Interesting. Is it the time of day? It's afternoon? It must be the time of day. There's no other explanation. Huh. I want but, a pedicure in that kind of water. That looks comfy. <laughs> Hang on a second. I'm riding south again because... Didn't the sky just change? The atmosphere changed just a second ago, didn't it? Yes. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. So let's did. go back down, and I want to see what happens to the sky. Now, the time, it might have just been the time of day, changing to the time might, of day. Yeah, I guess it was the time of day. Okay, so it's not... Oh, wait. No, no. Here it is. Yep, crackly sky. Look at that. Right there. Up, oh, yep. Crackle. Yeah. Yep. Okay, that so force field's back up. Down here, we get this... Yeah, and the water doesn't look so nice now. No. Where is it? Yeah, now it's like greenish. Yeah. Really interesting. Okay, so what's our understanding of this? JJ is asking if we discussed the crackly sky. I don't think we really did. We kind of discussed that it looks cool, but I don't think we really discussed <laughs> the mechanism of it. It's esoteric evil. Right. Oh, uh, yeah, just did a big lightning thing. It's just aesthetics. I don't know. Because, you know, as far as we know, there's not that much power in Angmar still. Yeah. I mean, there's not Residual. much. Residual what? I mean, evilness, sure, but. Mojo? Mojo, know. yeah. Residual mojo. Up. That's the technical term. Um, technical term. So, okay. I think. Um, The obvious parallel, right, is to the dawnless day. The whole, yes. like, that's the only real precedent we have for evil things messing with the sky. Evil things messing with the land, we have all kinds of precedent for. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, yeah. By the way, Karita thinks that Residual Mojo should be a band name, which is a pretty good band name, actually. I played uh, guitar for Residual Mojo. <laughs> exactly. Mojo. Um, 
Yeah, Belongsmond is wondering if the evil that blights the land blights the sky. That's kind of what I'm getting here, though it's not just... Obviously, this is not just a, a pall of shadow, right? So it's not like the Dawnless Day in a simple sense. Um, uh-huh. It looks like energy. It looks like... Um, power. I mean, occasionally it flashes over to look like a, a network of actual lightning, right? Uh-huh. It looks like it's traveling all in one direction, too. Yes. What's going on on that end? It's heading... It doesn't look like it's going to Karn South. No, it's heading away yeah. from it. <laughs> He's letting all his powers eastward. It's heading... I think it's heading this way. I think it's heading southwest. Southwest. Towards Breland and the Shire. Looking at the big map, that's southwest of Angmar. Sure. Okay. So is this... Oh, wait. Now the wind shifted. Now it's headed in a different way. Oh, okay. There so it has nothing theory. to do with it. Yeah, because oh, I well. thought it was going eastward and... Yeah, no, now it's clearly heading east. Okay. So this is atmospheric evil discharge. Yes, yes. Um, And I agree, JJ, it does look like a dome or globe, and it's... uh, Yeah. Cumulo maledictus. (laughs) Something like that. Well, let's see if if we come across anything that might seem to explain this. Um, okay. Uh, I don't know if they'll have anything that mechanical, but I'm interested just in the fact that we drove out of it mm-hmm. uh, like we did, that it's attached well, it to this region. One thing's for sure, there's no water up in those clouds. Right, right. Right, okay, so here we are. So the sky now looks like green and uninviting, though as you say, the water looks like particularly well-tended swimming pool. Um, Oh, yeah. uh, But the sparkly sky is gone. And the sparkly sky is there day and night. Different color at night, but it's there day and night. Yeah, this just looks like an air full of pollen out here. Yeah. This is what the sky looks like early in the morning where it's foggy and misty and everyone just mowed their lawns. Right, right. Okay, coming up on a watcher. Moment of truth, guys. Okay, here it is. All right, so... Um, the, well, I can just as well look at these from outside the radius of the... Yeah, let's, let's uh, get outside. The okay, because I want to look at the walls. So once again, we have these two kinds of walls. So now I'm forgetting... Did we decide that these, so like the this, the taller tower here with the black top, right? Oh yes. That we decided was like from the 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 heyday of old Angmar, right? Uh-huh. That was that was. I can't remember what we decided though about the other kind of brickwork that's next to it. Do we decide that that was contemporaneous or that that was later? Um, there was one wall that was like wider and prettier and we thought that might have predated the the evil days right at some point. right 
possibly Arnor, but yeah, yeah. So that that was older than the 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 heyday Angmarim structure. Well, we'll have to see what we can see about that. Oh, yeah, for th- possibly still Black Numenorian, but not right. necessarily. We'll have to see if we can see any evidence about that. Um, Forthalus was just suggesting that the the stuff in the sky could be corrupted aurora, since we're oh. fairly far north. Oh yeah, that's an interesting prospect because we are. Well, we do have regular, we do have regular aurora borealis up north in Forakel. In Forakel, so. yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and Steve, I now want to try out the evil areas out there and see if we see any differences between. Um, it, it, there's e- there's definitely evil areas in Forakel. What happens to the sky up there where we would have aurora borealis? Is the question. Right. 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 Wow. So is this just this is this is not a battle buggy. This is like a battle bus, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's basically what this is. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Big old wagon for can you just you would put orcs in this wagon, right? Or a troll or one troll maybe. You know, a beaver chasing a bear around is really kind of a, an interesting spectacle. Like you do. There. Yeah. Yeah. Really, for a while, looked like that. Looked like that beaver had the bear on the run. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think is what was really happening there. Um, Beaver bites can be pretty nasty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, there's eye painting on those. Yeah, yeah, on the not, buggies. Not yeah, on the that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that I guess is goblin. Okay, so I'm looking out here. This is. This wall was guarding, so this was beach again, or rather, this is cliff, right? So you got some cliffs with the the mm-hmm. old water line coming partly up it, um, and a little coastal road running alongside it. Right. So this would have been what, like the boat slip or something? Maybe a boat launch, or maybe yeah. a place to to look out for the people on the road. Right. Possibly. Was this a gate? I don't see any evidence of a gate here. If it's just a gap and. What was but the, the lines are clean. It hasn't been broken apart. Right, right. And then we've got this. Uh, uh, this little village Pointy up here flower. Somewhere. This I'm pretty sure. So this is obviously this is one of those only slightly evil Tudor style houses, which mm-hmm. clearly shows the cultural connection. Between the Brewanders and the Hillmen, right? Yeah, just like in the other part that right. we visited. Yeah, just like in that other city whose name I either can't remember and or also can't pronounce. Um, <laughs> so, and and once again, as in that other city, we can see this house, which is clearly newer, right? I mean, still could be a couple hundred years old, but still clearly newer, built right up against this old Angmarim wall. Yeah, and that right. very British thing of uh, building on ruins again. Although this one doesn't look as far gone as the, the no. other village we saw. No, it doesn't. And what is this darling little tunnel here? It's some sort of trestle bridge it's knockoff. It's like a breezeway. Why, why do they build a breezeway between... Uh, I don't know. Powder it's, storage? It's kind of fetching, though, isn't it? I really like it. That. It looks like it should be a stable, but they haven't finished building the walls. And it looks like they put... Th- shingles and thatch 
on top, wow. which I don't get. Whatever was going to go in here was important, but there's no yeah. evidence of it. Highly protected from rain, except they couldn't be bothered to build walls. Oh, man, look at how, that, how it extends over there. This is intense. Uh-huh, Ooh, and no I, chairs, because then they'd just be leaning on things all day, and it looks unprofessional. Yeah. Well, in this city, or these buildings just keep going and going. Oh, I really want to get in and look at those green <laughs> things over there. And it looks like a huge statue, and I, I'm very excited about that. But Oh, yeah. Let's, let's, let's just keep looking around here. So we have this... Well, this is a nice little village square, and whom do we have? We just have Angmerim here. We don't have any Hillmen. Were there any Hillmen at all? Did we kill Hillmen already? Or is it just the uh, Angmerim? I didn't see any Hillmen. It just looked like Angmarim and goblins. There were yeah. some goblin staffers in here. So the Iron Crown... Oh, right, there were the goblins who were doing the eye paintings, presumably. Um, so this then looks like a recent hostile takeover. This from was who? from the Hillmen, right? Because there had been oh. like the later Hillmen. Um, oh, oh, yeah, the people who had lived in nicer houses than right, the, the and who were yes, and who were being oppressed. In that, I yes, just killed my horse, which was super rude. Um, goblin dude. And as a result, I'm going to have I'm going to activate my links, and then he'll be sorry. <laughs> Uh, anyway, okay. Um, okay, so, all right. Now, I'm going to mess with my links now. Okay, um, so as I was saying, so we, we remember in that city, whose name I don't remember, um, uh, we we had... Uh, the, the people there were being enslaved, right? They were being... They were being... Uh, they were being oppressed. We, like, that's where you do the whole... Um, the whole liberating slaves quest line, right? Yes. Yeah, breaking 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 folks free. Uh so this has all of the markings of being a place which was a fairly major city of theirs, right? They had this really nice yeah. protected place up on a hill with all these old walls, highly defensible and they built but they weren't building defensively, right? They didn't themselves fortify it. They didn't put up gates in any of the walls or anything like that. Instead, they just built these actually really quite darling little like two-story <laughs> Tudor houses with the little porches on the top floor, right? The and porches breezeways. And breezeways. The porches aren't really <laughs> sociable, right? So you can tell that there's still some like cultural dysfunction, right? We're going to build porches, but we're going to put the porches up on the on the on the on the second floor or first floor if you're a European. Um uh, it, again, there's just a lot of uh, a lot of uh, pushing for places to stand out of the rain and the wind. Yeah, it's like, true, right? Yeah, here we are. It must they must have uh, some. I don't know. I don't know what if they've got an acid rain problem up here or something. I don't know. That could, uh, uh, you know. Again, I'm thinking of the sky, but um, but yeah, no, I agree. But anyway, it looks like a, a reasonably pleasant town, though you know, built on a kind of. Uh, 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 depressing set of ruins but but that's okay um and then of course it's been taken over now by goblins and angmer i mean we don't see a single hillman around here and the presence of siege equipment right all over this the place. is a pretty clever devious looking thing here this is much better put together than a lot of the work devices i've seen yes you look at how well uh like squared the timbers are right and and how well squared and fitted the timbers are 
Um, that does look better than a lot of the other orc equipment. Um, yeah, this is a, it's an interesting approach. The siege ramps, right? Um, uh, that you then, I guess, you just you run, run up the ramp to scale the wall. That's kind of fun. Uh, but the point is, you know, these are designed, and we see, we've, we've seen siege equipment designed for moving south into the North Downs, which presumably this stuff is as well. But it, it kind of announces, right? This is a hostile force here. Yeah. Um, you know, these, these people uh, are not peaceable, um, are not peaceable uh, uh, residents. These are not the natives. Yeah. This, this, is a, this is a hostile takeover. This is not a community. <laughs> yes, this is not a community. This is a this is an armed encampment. Um, I didn't even. I've never been over this bridge. <laughs> me neither. I don't think I ever explored around here. No, me neither. I usually end up uh, going through the because you know all, north or south, the, one or the other. Well, all the quests to advance past yes. fifty. You know, you have to get all those trophies and little you know bits and bits for weird recipes they never tell you what they're making yes uh, but most of the critters you get out in the the dried up seabeds in Melonhead. yes and, uh, and then i went around to gath uh, and, Gath-Forth you, near yeah. and yes or um, go through the necropolis yes whatever the necropolis was called oh yeah we'll get to the necropolis okay i'll see and now look they've put one of their malignant statues here uh-huh which is clearly one of those newer constructions, right? Yep, so this yep. is a this is new, even though of course we know some of the statues are have been around for a while. More Although keep these... your eyes open for one of those giant fish hooks. Yes. Well, similar in style to the fish hooks is this door. Yeah. And who's this chick? She's got a An name. elite master. I'm going to stand back a bit from her. I'm not high enough level to take her single-handed unless people want to join me here. silk lady? Silk lady. Oh, got too close. Oh, that's why she's called silk lady. I well, get it. Oh, spiders. spiders. Right. Okay. Yeah. Kind of a, yeah. All right. All hands on deck. All right. Okay, there we go. Good job. All right. Okay. That's good. Can we go so, in there? No, it's it's not open. Oh man. What a jip. This, but now we know why she's called Silk Lady. Yes we do. Um Huh. This tower, I, we though. see more of these doors later on. A lot more. Oh, look at the tower up there. That is like see, that's this tower is different, architecturally different from any of the other buildings. In in the cities, yes, but if I recall, there's a hilly area where there's a lot of towers that look like this. Yeah? yeah. I don't remember these now. Trimbar or something, I don't know. Oh, right, up in the, up in the north, sure. Yes. Right, but not that we've seen that- yet. No, but this is a style we are going to see more of, so memorize it well. So this, then, must be the new age 
Angmarim structure. Yes. So. <laughs> Novu Angmarim. Novo, exactly. Novo Angmar. That's exactly it. So we've got old Angmar, uh, old Angmarim. Uh-huh. So this, like the the wall and tower. So here we're standing next to three different eras of yeah. Angmarim construction. Yeah. I'm looking around. Old and busted. Can I see a hotness? No, I don't see. Right. Okay. So we've got, right. You've got the old one, the one that's greenish white on the bottom and black on the top. And Uh then you've got the second layer, right? Which is like the the little Hillman Tudor house next to it, right? Or built kind of up on it, uh, up up again it, right? As you would say. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and the wooden palisade. So the wooden palisade would have been added by the by the hillman as well, right? Wooden palisades yes. are totally their style. Um, so they come in here and they build. The, of course, wooden palisades are also goblin style, but uh, yeah, let's not think about that for a second. And uh, so, but we, we already saw them occupying the city on the other side, and we certainly get. We get another house right there. But then this tower, uh-huh. this tower is new. So yep. this tower is Nouveau Angmar. So the, if the black and white is from the time of the witch king himself, and then the uh, uh, and then the, the, the second layer is the Hillman Society that grew up here within the ruins of old Angmar, and then now new Angmar, which has returned. So this is a recently constructed tower. Yes. With all the pointy bits. And, and the, we know how our Dark Lords love their giant freaking tall towers. So. Exactly. Exactly. And the the pointy door frame thing that we get here in front of this tower is as well as the uh the 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 spiky fringy bits up at the top of the tower um are like the they're not they're not exactly the same as, but reminiscent unto the fishhooks mm-hmm. things that we've seen. And and it's if we get to when we get to Karn Doom, we're going to see some more uh, stuff like this, but in an older older version of the style. Right. Uh, another thing to keep in mind is the shape of the helmets of the the warrior Angmar warriors who wear helmets. We're going to see a lot of these uh, diamond uh-huh. and and pointy designs right. that look very similar to this door. Right. Okay, well let's let's keep going. Oops, huh? No two. Who made PC- the bridge out of metal? <laughs> no two PCs are not on fire. Okay, so this is oh man, <laughs> this bridge is old Angmar. Yes. Yeah, it's very soft. See how the teachers have very much eroded away. Yes, um, and these metal bracings, like right under uh-huh. the top layer, right? That looks like. Okay. Oh man, the statues. Is that patina, or is it like some sort of mineral deposit? I don't know. I have to look closer to see what that bluish green business it looks is like all about. Looks like turquoise from back here, but it does. Two women? Are those women? They look like women. Veiled, veiled, weeping women holding a bowl or something. Or just with their hands in their pockets. They, they, they look like they're wearing hoodies with their hands in their pockets. Is kind of what it looks like. I mean, not. The hoodie part. Their hands, the hands are part. either in, holding something or out in front of them, I think. Yeah. Oh, right. No, they're folded like this. Yeah. Right. 
I see they're folded there. Okay, right. Got it. This is not the brash brazen sorceress at the gates out in No, no, right. Yeah, the one with the, yeah, the weird proportions and the too many yeah. joints. Um, these, these are servile, penitent, reverent-looking women. Yeah. Uh, sorry there, uh, newer in Defender of the Halls. I think somebody needs to get him a box to stand on there. Um, well, Shall I describe it to you? <laughs> well, okay, hang on. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back over there. I want to I wanna finish our circuit of this town here. I think we've seen mostly what there is to see here. Uh-huh. Uh, Okay, but here comes the green stuff, so let's take a look. Oh, ambushed. Hang on. (laughs) Thank you, whoever just killed that guy for me. All right. Okay. I couldn't see the guy. He was, like, hiding under the... See, those eaves are good for hiding under. I'll give him that, because I did not see him until I was right on top of him. Oh, and we're getting some mojo from something. Somebody put the scary whammy on us. (gasps) Cool carvings! Yes, okay. All right. All right. First of all, now that we're close, well, the color keeps changing because now we're in the red eye of doom. What on earth is going on? It does look like turquoise or some sort of luminous lichen. Is there something that we can kill to get this off us? No, oh, it's I think the stone. It's we're the too close stone. to the okay, watcher statues. The stone. I didn't see we gotta the border. Back up. Okay, hang on. Can we get it from over here on this side? Yeah, I didn't see the border either. It must be like underground or something. But we can certainly look at this tombstone-looking okay, thing over here. There we go. Where's the boundary? I can't. Well, it's about, I just stepped in it, so. Okay, I'm still out of it. Darn it! Okay. I wanted to get up really close and look at the <laughs> look at the. Okay, but it looked like. Is it part of the stone or is it a growth on the stone? I think it's part of the stone. Uh, yeah, it's like something got worn away and then that real, you know, exposed minerals or something like that. <laughs> Curita says it's luminous lichen, a smash hit by residual mojo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I, I got luminous lichen from Terry Pratchett. Remember, he always said, whenever there's a cave that's too dark to be seen, there's always going to be lichen, just enough to light it, so it looks, you know, cinem- it looks good in the cinema. You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> it looks photographic. Right. Well, I don't know whether it's veins in the rock. It looks like it's part of it. It doesn't really look like it's grown up on it. Uh, no. And okay, oh, hang on. All right, JJ, we're coming there in just a second. First, first the carvings, though. Um, we've got the iron crown, obviously, mm-hmm. right? You know, yeah. so that puts this at old Angmar. Yes. And clearly, from the age of the like the weathering away of the statues, that would be old mm-hmm. Angmar. Um, so this is the old Angmarim crown symbol. I love how up at the top there. The crown, it's down at the bottom so that the spikes of the crown just look like flames leaping up as if it's like, yeah. a, like a forge or something with the flames leaping up inside. And uh, Yeah, this kind of looks like, could be like some sort of funeral buyer. Yeah, beer, yeah exactly. It looks like a burial thing, like a funeral beer. Uh, um, 
Huh, so is this just... Okay, now running into it again. All yeah. Right, JJ, I do want to come down and look at this Head long, here. head long. Right, the wall made of bones, yeah. <gasps> There's watcher statues that look different down there. Watcher statues no, look different? I think they look different. They're just sort of... They don't look curly. And they're bent over. They look more... Oh, yeah, are they pointing down? I guess. Huh. Well, we have to go down there, obviously, but... Um... I can see the line now, actually, now that I'm black and white. I think that this stuff is definitely in the fabric of the walls, in the in the stone, the turquoise stuff. Uh-huh. And are those actual bones, or is it... No, I think those are fossilized bones, right? Not carving? Uh, yeah, I think it's definitely some sort of trim. Yeah. Oh, 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 you mean here in the wall. In the wall, <gasps> yeah. Ah, those look like skulls to me. Yes, they really do. I'm going to... No, I think, I think they're actual skulls. Okay, I, think I almost they're totally died actual. there from looking at the walls worth for too it. long. It was totally worth it to worth see it. the skulls. Yeah. Totally worth it to see the skulls. So Can I, you imagine being a developer and making that a detail that people could possibly die witnessing and maybe no one would ever see it? I know. And so as you can see from here, all of those interior sections are all... Um, Jinxed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all made out of bones. Uh-huh. But made out of bones in what sense? Like, uh, you just take a bunch of skeletons and mix them with mortar and dump it in? And no, no, no. I saw this on Pinterest. You have to put down the cement first, and then you put the skulls in. <laughs> then you put the skulls in. Right. And then you got to... Did somebody you make a YouTube instructional video on this? Yeah, and then you scrape it over with the plastic squeegee okay. to, to get rid of the residual. Okay. It'll fill sense. in the eyes, too, and keep make sure they're watertight and you don't get little bits of water harboring okay. in the skulls. I am, I am so enlightened by this. <laughs> okay. Don't question my life, man. I'm not questioning. No, 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 no. No, I'm not questioning it. Okay. So... If this is – if the turquoise stuff are veins in the rock, mm-hmm. then why is it – why is there such a sharp delineation? Why is it that like everything on that side except the statues, the, the watchers, are made out of that rock and nothing over here? We don't see it anywhere over here. And if it's growth, why is the growth – there why does it stop there why does this tomb thing have the growth on it and this wall does not i see a foot down there a foot i think there's a foot a statue giant foot? turquoise rock giant statue oh foot. those do look like toes oh my goodness it's like lady liberty toes uh it looks like these it, i'm gonna say this rock was imported then this rock was so special and so significant that they they trucked it up here just Maybe. to make this one feature yeah jj was thinking the same thing that it looks like it was transported okay here's the other thing i'm having gender uh, issues I, I originally i was thinking that those were women but I, I'm, uh-huh. I'm 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 doubting that now looking at the far one from this angle it almost oh. looks like 
not and also I thought the top was a face that was worn down but now I'm thinking it's like a hat and they're leaning forward right that their heads are covered and bearded oh like this is some sort of weird wimple kind of thing yeah sort of something like that some kind of head covering I think I just assumed it was a woman because there's no armor yeah, there is no armor, but it was. This would be a. I don't know what those bulgy bits are, though. Oh, let me drag one of these guys over here real quick. Let's take a look, cause he's got a hood on. Does it look kind of like oh, his the hood? You think? Dude. Yeah. Does he look like this dude, um, this Iron Crown fighter, yeah, right in front of This guy is a. He's wearing a cowl. And he's got the. He's um. On his shoulder. The sort of uh, <laughs> raiment vest, you know, right. vestment no, that I, goes down I, like that. It, this this looks like a more rounded hat. Well, and that could be weathering. Yeah, it could be weathering. It could be weathering. It's so old. Yeah, I mean, there's really very little suggestion of a face. But it makes me wonder, uh-huh. is there a little suggestion of a face because... Uh, it's been weathered away, or did it ever have a face, this statue? Well, I'm always told when something has a very simple or almost no face at all, it's because we're supposed to be able to imagine ourselves in there. Oh, you think that's what the that's the artist's plan? Well, psychologically, that's why people have simplified faces on things for, for right. characters that are supposed to represent us. It's because it's easier for us to imagine us as a minimally detailed face than a face with a lot of detail, which is usually supposed to represent somebody else. Holding their two hands out in front of them. Are they holding it? It's it's not a bowl? I definitely see a hand as well. Oh, yes, I see the hand now. You wonder if there was supposed to be something in between them, like a banner or some sort of... Or something. almost looks like it's holding it horizontally, like sandwiched between hands up and down beacon and I don't see much of a I'm trying to figure out these lines here right how it looks like almost an inverted arch it almost looks like there was no head at all with just a a hat and I'm about to die yeah better scoot on back (laughs) run 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 Oof. I know, it's creepy. Ooh, that was close. The things we do too for the things yeah. we do for. Anyway, I'm not sure there's a head under there at all. It looks like just two, um, two vertical pieces supporting the rounded like hat structure, uh, uh-huh. just kind of arched underneath. Um, it's like a Lego man face, you know. Katrina says we should run in, take a screenshot, get back to the safe zone, and study the picture. Sc- That's not as much fun uh, as my screenshot's not working. Yeah. <laughs> one of the updates screwed up my screenshot ability. I'll have to fix that at some point, but life is short. Yeah. Um, that when okay. we get real close, our depth perception goes all wonky. All right, here let's go. Let's go. Let's go down to the ground level. So can we get down to the ground on this side, or do we have to go all the way back? Oof, 
do not know. Okay, so the oh, so the goblins all live over here. This is the go- goblin tents. We didn't get goblin tents on the other side. This is the goblin quarter. Oh right. yeah, no, they they pretty much made sure the goblins can't go anywhere oh, except goodness, across yeah. that bridge. Oh no, wait, wait, you can get around. Oh, it doesn't end here. We've got more and more there. goblin tents. Oh, being watched apparently. This is a supervised goblin encampment here. Still, well, I wouldn't trust them by tents. themselves either. Yeah. And, oh, what was this guy? He's been bad. They told him to go stare at that wall for a little while. Um, and then that's it. Okay, so there is no way down. So, yeah, so this part. <laughs> He's in timeout. <laughs> yeah, that guy's absolutely in timeout. Um, and right, that those towers down there suggest, yeah, okay. So... I don't know if this was what was the old plan here. I'm trying to figure out what this would have looked like back in the days of old Angmar. This quarter, um, yeah, because normally having stuff next to a cliff is not a great idea. But this cliff was def. This chasm was definitely there. Definitely there. I mean, as this bridge is obviously from that period as well. But the only new construction we have up here is this tower. So age-wise. I mean, I would say that some of those statues and things look even older than the old Angmarim stuff. Um, can we get down from over here? Uh, probably not, right? Mm, probably not without breaking our ankles. I get the feeling we're supposed to approach that road from a different angle. Yeah, I think we we'll, we have to go back to the we have to go back to the floor and then come around. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. All right, so, um, well, it's interesting because that other stone, the stone with the the, you know, the turquoise stone, um, is much more worn than the rest of the old Angmar. I mean, if anything, I would guess that it was a fourth layer, an even earlier layer than the old Angmar layer, um, uh-huh. yet it clearly bears the old Angmar symbols. You know, it's got the old Angmar iconography. It might imply that those symbols are older than we think. Right. Right, possibly. Okay. I have worked my way back around, back by the battle buses, and (laughs) back now on the ground level, coming under that first bridge. And we can see we've got some goblin gates that have been erected. You can tell that they're goblin gates because of the skulls hanging. They do like their skulls. Ooh, oh, ha-ha! Oh, look at this! Look what, what? at what I found. Where are you, anyway? You okay, on the floor I'm down on the floor in the very middle of the city. In the very middle of the quad. Okay. Okay. On the ground floor. On the ground floor. Come see what I found and you will notice immediately how awesome it is. Okay, past the gates with the skulls on it, right? Past the gates with the skulls on it. All right, I got it. Oh, here you are. Here we are. Okay. Okay. Look at this, huh? Uh-huh. What do you notice? He's glowing. Uh-huh. And he's got crackling. Crackling evil. energy all around him. Uh-huh. Evil discharge. 
Evil discharge from the statues. So yeah, I Are we think to touch him. Is he start a quest, or is he just glowing like that because he's supposed to? I I don't know if that's a. I mean, I'm I'm going to assume that that's not a malfunction. Um, but now, so the red glowing smoke, which is that just looking behind him from the place that I is it actually emerging from the podium? It. I'm going to go around Maybe. here. Yeah, no, no. So this is the smoke of nope. the behind. It's actually yeah. emerging from the wow. Where is it coming from? Yeah. So that's just energy. It's not actually smoke. Yeah, you can see it's it. It's not a quest either. It's not a quest. No, you can't it's click just on. organically emerging from the pedestal. That's fascinating. Okay, so we've got him there. Let me. I'm trying to get out of his. Radius, I've never seen him before. I wanted to learn more about this. You I know? know this guy is out of control. So he's at the center of the city. Look at his eyes. He's got yeah. the red shining eyes. He's got this red cloud of evil power emanating up, which looks like the smoke that comes out of a white factory, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, no, he is the center of this. I mean, he's right on the flag that says Veil Buglach on it. Yeah. And he's... <laughs> and he's got the crackly energy, which doesn't look exactly like the sky, but enough like the sky that I'm certainly now convinced that that's what the sky is. A reminiscent of the sky. See, I knew that if we just kind of kept at it, we would find an explanation. Um, yeah, no, I'm learning all sorts of stuff today. This is amazing. Yeah. So, therefore, the power of the so that the so and these statues are new Angmar, right? Uh huh. Or are they old Angmar? Um, I don't think they've actually told us that we just know the souls of the, 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 the demons they sort of tethered to them are new. Whether the statues themselves are new or old is a different matter. Right. And one I don't think that's been addressed. But the yeah, but the, the, the malignant evil of the statue uh-huh. um, that's a new innovation that that that's a new Angmar thing, right? Yes, presumably if they existed before, all evil like that would have disappeared when Sauron's power dissolved. Right, exactly. Um, so this is new, and therefore the crackly sky would have to be an indicator of this sort of power. Like as Because we saw them in the middle of constructing these, right? Like we saw them doing that ritual down in the... In the Fortress, you know, the, in Esteldine. Well, no, no, you're right in O'Hare, yeah, outside uh, of O'Hare, up north, yeah, that first uh, uh, evil Hillman uh, yeah. camp that we were looking at. Um, yep. So we know they're in the process of manufacturing these things um, uh, through these rituals that they have uncovered with these ancient fell spirits uh, that are being trapped in the hearts of the stone that are put in the statue as. Oh, I've done the quest line now like four or five times for. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <Not every> server. <laughs> but of course, the more times I do it, the less time I spend reading the text. So it's like it's not like I'm actually more familiar with the storyline. Anyway, I make more mistakes if I when because I, I'm not reading the test. Yeah, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, this is where I go to that place. Where's the thing? Oh, I missed one. <laughs> right. Exactly. I almost did the same. But thing. yeah, yeah, the crackling here and the crackling in the sky. There's a sickness in nature caused by this. Yeah. 
Yeah, but it's it's an indication of this evil influence that is bringing the land under this this sort of new oppression, right? Um, uh-huh. Uh huh. Dominating, well, not dominating the spirits in the way that the Ring of Power does, not enslaving the spirits, but um, um, but just kind of oppressing the life force, right? As it just kills you. I mean, it just drains you of morale and then uh, you know does you to death if you. Uh, if you if you're not if you're not ready for it, um, well, remember in this game you don't exactly die; you yes, pass out because yes. you've lost your will. You lost your will, exactly. You've lost your will, so that in itself is telling. These are things drain hope and will from everybody. Yes, yes, especially especially elves. Yeah. Oh man, it's getting late, but oh, yeah, oh, it is. On. Goblin, goblins, goblin paintings. Is this somebody uh, squatting in front oh, of wow. something? Goblin, we found goblin rude graffiti. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I wonder if is is that meant to be vulgar? Um, uh, maybe. <laughs> Others or someone missed their mommy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what it is. Um, <laughs> what is this meant to be? Is that a hand? Like a goblin claw, or because there looks like the one up here to the left of that squarish patch looks like a fist, right? Uh huh. Yeah. And the one down there looks like a a hand. Are these like goblin gang symbols or something? The claw mommies. It's the claw mommies. I see. Yeah. See. Look, there is one over here. This one is a warg, I think. Yeah, claw mummies. They're they're a lady troop that have works. Claw mummies. Right? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know that I'm fully convinced. Well, it's by also that, patched but... on. You can see that this is a piece that was uh, oh, there's another sewn one on top. at a different time. Yeah. Oh, another another puppy. Probably. And on the roof. Ah, uh, yeah. I can't tell what's a stain and what's art. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's sometimes a stain is just a stain. Yeah, but some of these are clearly not. But then again, <laughs> Karina says the Claw Mommies could could uh, could be the opening band uh, for Residual Mojo, and then when they made it big, they'd change their name. <laughs> it sounds more like a roller derby team. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like a roller derby team. Oh my goodness! I think you nailed it there. Yeah. Uh, okay. Hey, don't look now, but I think we can approach this tomb. Yes, without going all dreadish. Okay. Wibbly. Yes. Woohoo! Okay, a chance to. Yeah, those are that's set in the rock. That's not a growth. No. You can, yeah, see, can see the that you can see the texture of the rock around it. I think it's yeah. So I'm convinced that this is a special rock now, not a particular, you know, growth problem in this it, area. 
It does look like the kind of stone where you find raw turquoise. And do you think these are meant to be tombs? Uh, I don't know about tombs, but certainly something big and holding something big. It looks like there was something on top that got chopped off or fell off. Well, this is the foot. Oh, yeah, that we that's the foot. Anyway, I mean, this that's is the thing that looked like a foot from above. It sure looked. Yeah, it sure did. Does it have toenails? Uh, no, but it looks like a sandal strap. and a... I could see. It's got these two toes are pretty well defined. It loses it was, definition after that. It was easier to distinguish as a foot from a pie. Yeah, from down here, it looks much less convincingly like a foot. I'm wondering if it's only coincidentally like... Oh, I... Well, I don't know. It looks like it starts off as a foot and then something just sheared off the top of everything. Where Did the they, were they starting a new statue and then they were just like, you know what? Nah. You know, let's just leave the foot. Well, I can't figure out where a foot would go up there, honestly. But... Yeah, I mean, it's it's not... Some sort of lost colossus that used to be here, you know? Or again, one that they started and abandoned. Yeah, could be. But it's hard to imagine if, like, if old Angmar was going to raise a colossal statue that they would be like, why would they make it barefoot in sandals, right? Would, uh-huh. would the Witch King of Angmar really appear... Barefoot. No, but I could see, I could see, you know, some sort of ancient form of uh, Melkor, maybe. In sandals, maybe. Maybe it's back in olden times. Oh, we're over the red line. Yes, we are. So I'm going between. I'm looking up at these statues from the bottom while I can still see anything. Now it looks like they've, they've got their hands here. Um, Tolareth. Another giant tree. What? They're trees? Another giant tree. Really quick before I die, man. Okay, hang on. Oh, this is a cliff. Oh, drat. I know, but there's another giant tree on the other side in the necropolis. Okay, hang on, hang on. I got it. I got it. Oh, wait, no, I still got time. I'm not going to I'm getting better. Uh, exactly. Oh, I'm not. But I, Oh, there's the giant tree. Yeah. I see what you mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's this is the necropolis, yeah? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. That's the necropolis. Well, maybe we'll find an, some more explanation of the whole turquoise phenomenon, which is what we will call it. Turquoise on, phenomenon. When we get down into... Because it, we, we should notice that... So presumably, this used to be a road, I think. Uh-huh. Right? So yeah, I think so. From in in old Angmarim times, this was, you know, we had this kind of fortress city in the four quadrants up around this central area, and then we have all these turquoise things, and this is like a kind of a gateway, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with the walls of bones and everything. So this, in fact, this looks like the main entrance to the necropolis, frankly. Yes, it sure does, if it's got the bones in it, like a catacomb. Yeah, the whole walls full of bones thing, yes. And I'm fully healed again, so now I'm going to go. Because now I want to look at the ground. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, projecting myself back a couple thousand years, and I'm in old Angmar, and I'm coming into the necropolis, and uh, there's a sheer cliff. Uh, but was it always a sheer cliff? 
Well, there's also water deposits down there, indicating the water might have been higher at one point. Was there, did there used to be a, was this just an overlook? Maybe it was an overlook. Maybe we were looking down onto. Hmm. It'd be interesting to see how long of the dead, how long of the dead lived there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, obviously this is one of the places that we are headed to next is the necropolis to try to figure that out. Some Um, other week. (laughs) Yeah, it is getting late. We will, uh, I'll go back out of the, before I perish, which is actually coming soon. Ah, phew. Okay. Not quite as close (laughs) as the last time, but that was still pretty close. All right. Um, so we will leave it here. Uh, uh, see, I have. I think Angmar is so kind of oppressive in its atmosphere that I never really spent all that much time looking around. So this is really kind of fun. Um, uh-huh. uh, anyhow, so let's. Um, we'll stop here, and we will. Uh, we'll pick up here again next week. Um, and JJ says we should. We should really bring hope tokens next time, which really seems like a a a, a, a perfectly fine idea. Um, but we'll continue on the path which is going to lead us up towards uh, Imlad Balhorth, the place of the dead, which is where we'll go next. But looks like there's something in between, so maybe we'll make it there next week and maybe we won't. Who knows? But anyway, thanks everybody for joining us. And uh, that was a fun field trip today. We learned a lot. Many questions still unanswered, but learned a lot too. Uh, and... Um, I will uh, look forward to seeing you guys again next week. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.